I was like, oh, we're, we're going to play three at the back. This is definitely going to happen. You're like, oh, this is not going to happen. You would have said, said, you said, you would have said, oh, would, would three at the back suit us? In fairness, I would have said, well, Kenny never played three at the back. It will never, happen. never, never happen. OTB AM live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it's Thursday morning. This week is nearly over. It's been a very long week. Owen, how are you? Very well. You've had quite a short week, I suspect, travelling around the country, solving the peace process, getting Casement Park built, and you come home and you're like, it's like the end of The Lord of the Rings where, you know, they uh, fix the problem with uh, Sauron and then they get back and the Shire's been overrun. While you were away, Cork and Kerry have, like, started the Field Mark II. I thought you were going to, like, uh, I guess, spit some fire about Johnny Ward and Nathan Murphy about what they'd done to the Shire, which is, of course, this lovely studio. I mean, obviously, it was ruined. It yeah. was absolutely ruined. Poor Johnny. I mean, he did have a hit. He, on his hands, he has a hit where he was like, this is the moment where Troy Parrott announces himself. Yeah. Good call. We put it out yesterday, but somebody said Johnny made us put it out, which was true, but still, we probably shouldn't have um, opened the kimono so revealingly. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't like that image, no? No, <laughs> I've never heard that analogy before. It's uh, taken it very, very literally. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be one of those kind of shows. Welcome along, ladies and gentlemen. You can uh, lay, you lay into us, do, do with us what you will on the YouTube comments and uh, we'll take it from there. So, um, the peace process. Is that where we're starting? Uh, if you want, yeah, if you want. I mean, uh, that, that's uh, is, is that the analogy of talking about what what we got outside Windsor Park the other night, maybe? Is that, that like if we're talking about hits, that seems to have been something that, uh, unsurprisingly, I guess, took off on, on our social channels yesterday, on, on TikTok in particular. People, um, people want to hear what Northern Ireland football fans wants to wants to say about a, a potential of a, an All-Ireland team, it turns out. It was daylight and you were outside <laughs> Windsor Park before the game. Um, I wonder what would have happened after the game if you'd stuck around and done your usual drunken fan stuff. What that would have been like in as the the clock ticked past midnight in East Belfast. What would the response to your gentle questions have been? I, I I don't know. Like I wasn't necessarily going up to people in daylight, even saying, "Do you want a, an All Ireland team?" Like as I was saying on the show yesterday, you chat to somebody for a while, and you're like, "Okay, they wouldn't be offended if I asked this question." There's a couple of people maybe in the other video about the idea of the Euros coming to Belfast in general that I didn't ask the question to because I thought to myself, well, there's probably a, a sense here that, that they'd be offended by the question. And uh, I mean, there's the, for, for no other reason than not wanting to really put anybody out because they've given you their time to actually speak to you before a game. You don't want to be rude and ask them a question that they, um, that they might react very, very badly to. So I think, think possibly things would have been OK, but that was always the initial plan. Do it before the game. Don't do it after the game. And uh, things might be things might be a little bit easier. They were very thoughtful. I mean, I'm sure there was lots of people who were less thoughtful, but that's always the way in these vox vox. But there was definitely, a, well, I've thought about this, and this is my position, as opposed to who the hell do you think you are? You know, it turns out that like when you talk to people about stuff, they feel strongly about things, but not to the point where it's uh, worth thirty years of bloodshed. Oh, one hundred percent. Anybody that didn't make the cut wasn't didn't make the cut because their thoughts were, um, I guess, aggressive or anything like that. That was not the case. It was just the, the ones that maybe sounded the best were, were were put in there, and and that was it. Everybody had a 
had an opinion that stopped to talk and anybody who, who walked by probably didn't have anything to say and that's that's totally fine. I, I'm not particularly surprised by it, to be honest. I, I, like I'm, I, and, I, and I know that you're obviously being a, a little bit facetious when you say, well, it, like it'll be interesting to see what would have happened later on at night. I, like may, Maybe there would have been a, a genuine fear for asking that, that sort of question, but I think what we saw from the product that actually did go out is that I mean, it's not that it's no big deal, but it's okay to ask the question. It's okay to actually bring up these conversations. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's a it's a very interesting scenario, right? Where the the, the question about um, players from the six counties playing for the Republic of Ireland is one that is very contentious, right? And so, because of the Good Friday Agreement, everybody's obviously entitled to an Irish passport, as they should be, and I'm um, pretty sure it was the case before that anyway, but I think the football was was it, was one of the fallouts of the football, or one of the fallouts of the Good, Good Friday Agreement that, that that agreement is now kind of written down and codified. Whatever, it exists, right? Somebody did make the point, though, that, like, how do you ever make everybody feel comfortable in each other's company if you continue to segregate everybody? Like, all the education system is segregated. There are Protestant schools and Catholic schools. How do you ever get everybody to kind of just realise that none of this shit matters mm. if they're always segregated? So if the football team is always segregated, how do you make people less virulent in their identity when it's like an expression of something... <sighs> You know, is is there is are, have have we actually been coming about this all wrong? Like, the quickest way to, um, it, it, so it, it, I'm coming at it from the aim of a United Ireland. The quickest way to United Ireland is actually to have a team uh, for Northern Ireland, which is largely populated by good quality footballers who could could play for the Republic of Ireland, but are playing for the place that they're from geographically right now. It, it's slightly counterintuitive mm. right it, it seems completely counterintuitive yeah. but if if for example McLean and Duffy and a bunch of others play for Northern Ireland yeah what are the Northern Ireland fans going to do if, if if James McLean had 125 caps like and had had, had been at the Euros for Northern Ireland are they going to be chanting sectarian abuse to their own players it's a bit harder right is he getting death threats from that kid in Wherever it was in Belfast, I, I don't I don't think so, right? I, I, I'm not saying that he should have not played sure. for Northern Ireland, right? Yeah. But I am saying that like one of the byproducts of this is that it's it's much easier for a group of fans to decide that they absolutely despise and hate people who are born two streets away. Much harder to do that when you're playing football with them. Much harder to, to do that when, and ultimately, in the long run, what's going to lead us to a position where everybody understands each other to the point where they're like, it doesn't really matter. We shouldn't be paying taxes to the Tories. We shouldn't be giving the Tories power over the island. Like, what, what's the quickest way to get there? I, I think that there would be fewer voices of hatred towards James McLean from the Northern Ireland football fans if he played for them. That's true. But whether or not he would be completely immune from the vitriol that he gets from his own club fans sometimes in England, I, I'm not sure that that would be the case whatsoever. I, I think that there is very much an open scope for, for him to, to, to get a lot of abuse from his own fans. And I don't care about the English fans, though. Like, you know, just uh, simply on the question that you were asking about the... Yeah. the Like, no. what, what's the quickest way to get to that team? But I, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm saying that the English fans and, and the behaviour that we've seen, I think, could be replicated from the Northern Ireland fans. 
Well, uh, maybe not the people that I spoke. Neil Lennon got death threats in Belfast. Yeah, and so like, but you know that that is that is a long time ago. I, things have uh, it has been profitable for some uh, politicians to whip up that nationalist sure. fervor in, particularly in the loyalist community uh, over the last two decades. And so you, you definitely see pockets of it. But isn't it harder for those people? Like if if he's busting his gut and if Duffy's coming up and scoring headers and they're qualifying for tournaments like it's much harder yeah. whereas it's actually easier but as a, as a function of um, uh, so the, the, the principle of parity of esteem was behind everybody in the north and it's really important that people in the north are actually respected and their right to self-determination is respected uh, I just think that the longer term goal of saying actually you know what if, if we maintain these football teams and you go in and you play with this football team uh you're going to convince more people in the middle ground that you're not a threat. This isn't a threat. And, and you see your people like James McLean or Shane Duffy not singing God Save the Queen before the match. And maybe the Northern Ireland fans will come around to the fact that, you know, maybe that's okay. And maybe that's a, a tiny step forward. Yeah, and maybe it's a quicker, maybe, and maybe it's much easier to have that conversation and we shouldn't be doing this. Mm. You know, like that, that's a relatively recent thing. That's not like, they weren't doing that in 1922, as yeah. far as I know. Um, so... Anyway, we can bring you some of the comments from uh, the uh, piece that we did yesterday. If you missed it, it's up on it's up on TikTok, it's up on YouTube. You can get the podcast of it as well uh, on YouTube. Lorcan says it's important to remember that the Northern Ireland fans are not a complete reflection of the Northern Ireland populace. Speaking as a Republic of Ireland fan living in Northern Ireland, that's the whole point. We know that Lorcan, like, and I think everybody watching understands that, uh, not exclusively, but generally, the Northern Ireland fans uh, come from one side of. And that's my point here, is that there's not much for nationalists in the North to get behind when it comes to the Northern Ireland football team. There's not much. No, I'd, I'd say that the the exception would be maybe uh, people who'd be nationalist-leaning uh, and they bring their kids to a Northern Ireland match because, you know, they're living in Belfast or something. I'd say that might be the exception. Come on, mate. I get why you wouldn't want to follow an All-Ireland team yourself, but why is it wrong to allow young footballers in the North who can compete all across the country in GA and rugby the opportunity to declare for the Republic? They have as much freedom to choose who they want to follow as you do. I, and that, that's fundamentally the truth. And I, I understand that, and I understand that's the impetus behind it, and it was important. And if I'm the FAI, I'm doing all my everything I can to convince everybody to come over. Um, the, well, the most recent kid, the, the somebody thrown... Is it in there? Who was that? Liverpool? Who? Uh, anyway, um, Music Man says, I think the main objection is more about the young players being brought through our youth system where a lot of time and money is invested into the development only for them to jump ship at the 11th hour. It's happened a lot. Yeah, and look, that's only going to continue. <laughs> that is only going to continue. That's the thing. It is only going to continue. And so, uh, anyway, Colin Rice says, very short-sighted individuals. Let's keep things as they are because that's what those people are comfortable with. A 90-minute train ride to Dublin is too much and a different anthem is unthinkable. Let's ignore that a large portion of Northern Ireland feel alienated and won't support the North, myself included. I found this depressing to watch. Mm. Like, the, I mean, the, I mean, there's obviously a very simple fix to that it's a solution of people complaining about playing a game in Dublin is that the Ireland team would play games in Belfast regularly and, uh, and, and that's the way it is. It, it will be... Uh, like a, a situation that I don't think many people will be too disappointed with around the rest of the country either. I think that that's part of part of joining the, the thing together in this kind of fictitious scenario that we've invented. Uh, Samari says we'd have to drop our own Levine, so absolutely no chance. Let them keep their team. I mean, we, uh, no, look, Aaron Levine and badges and flags—they're all so important to us. Without them, we're not the same people. Except 
They're not. Just Ireland's call knocking at the door there saying, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jonathan Thompson says I love the Republic team the same way those people love the North I think it's way too late to change it now I would love to see one Republic one day but I think the teams would still have to stay separate is there a world in which uh, Ireland is politically united and there are two football teams coming from the island yes yes there's a, there, there, I, the, the reality is that there's a world for everything in, in these sort of uh, conversations and vice versa as well I don't think that there's uh, enough respect for politicians, rightly so, uh, to say, oh, we're going to take your cue and uh, follow suit automatically with every piece of behaviour in our society. I'd I'd be surprised if that ever happened. Uh, I'm from Armagh. I support the Republic. I wouldn't mind an All-Ireland team like rugby, but I've always said it would never happen in soccer as it's too far gone. I mean, we did think that loads of stuff that was impossible would never happen, and then a load of stuff happened, and then it all kind of disappeared again. Um... Le Merchant or Lee Merchant says I'm as Irish as they come a dub at heart and if this was a genuine option I'd 100% go for an all-island team like in rugby because we'd be a lot better have a better chance of restructuring football across the island and to be honest I'd love if the home of it was in Belfast so we could have a football only stadium instead of sharing one with rugby money could be spent on upgrading Belfast to the hub I'm sure the game can be played there it's an hour up the road from Dublin we've gone from two hours to 90 minutes to an hour this high speed train link that we have between Belfast and Dublin I like that I like the uh, the peace dividend uh, it does hurt a bit to see so many Northern Ireland fans reject it and think we wouldn't want to join forces but I guess they see us very differently to how we see them I think there's uh, mutual distrust on all sides. Yeah, uh, like I, I know that when you kind of go through the, the history of this, and obviously we've done this a few times in the show before, but when you get into the Irish soccer split, for example, and um, the, the, the Cormac Moore book, uh, the, the history is as much football politics as it is actual politics and uh, the, the, the split in the 1920s of uh, where would the football uh, association be based would it be based in Belfast or Dublin why not both why, why not uh, actually pander to our own egos here and ensure that all the people who want power actually uh, get it uh, obviously there is a heavy political aspect to it all as well but uh, the, the, if, you, if you trace it all the way back there is a, a lot of a lot of ego and a lot of power in the, the, the high ranking football positions that, that led to this split emerging in the first place yeah, I mean, like, you know. That would also be an issue. Well, it would. In, it would. Uh, if you're, if you're in the IFA, you're looking at what's gone on in the FAI in the last decade and you're going, no way, no way. Sorry, lads. Absolutely under no circumstances. No bloody way. And the IFA sit on that, uh, what's the football, what's the old man football board that gets to change the rules whenever they want? What's that? They're like one of the four founding football federations, and so therefore they have a, a vote. They were they were the ones who were voting on whether or not VAR could be a thing. It's not IFAB, is it? It is. It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, what? So you went. Well, you'd have to give that up if you join with it. No, no. You can't you can't spell IFAB without IFA? No, absolutely. Uh, Harsh but fair is the name of the YouTube uh, person who obviously you know has appointed themselves the trash heap. Uh, answers were very civil and polite. There, someone from the Republic of Ireland. I disagree. Most people down south wouldn't want a one island team. I think a clear majority would. And also no reason that all the games would have to be in Dublin. Could have a good percentage of games in Belfast, as far as I'm concerned, for that matter, and other parts of the island if it was feasible. I also get the point that if you're born one part of the island, you should play for that part of the country as it currently stands. But former Northern Ireland manager Michael O'Neill mentioned it too before. God Save the Queen is the Northern Ireland, uh, Northern Ireland anthem is anathema to players in the nationalist community in the north. Could you not have something that both communities could stand for with pride? Anyway, good luck, Northern Ireland. I hope we both make it to the 2024 Euros. 
yeah, there would have to be a bit of an allowance for, for that to happen, and then like it, it's it would obviously be a very special sort of uh, very specific rule, the one you're alluding to there about people playing where they're geographically born, because that would mean that you're still allowing people with Irish grandparents who are born in England to come play for Ireland. It's just specifically around the the six versus the twenty six. Uh, Michael says people must realise the rugby team is something very different as rugby in Ireland was and still can be a small minority of upper middle and upper class people the rugby brigade from the north and south are very very similar hence there's no real issue apart from the fact they had to modify the anthem a number of years ago football is a completely different animal I mean I don't think it's factually incorrect it's just that uh, I think that you could probably overcome a lot of this stuff very quickly and probably there are generations who are overcoming it except there are other generations who are just getting handed on the hate as we see like kids uh, sending messages to uh, Republic of Ireland footballers so I don't know I mean some people are saying it's depressing some people are saying it's really interesting to hear that viewpoint what was your were you depressed no not at all. or happier or more I wouldn't say happier or depressed just very intrigued and also I guess that, as I kind of already alluded to very kind of pleasantly surprised that uh this was an okay thing to talk about. Like, uh, I mean, kind of like when you're framing the question, you're kind of a little bit apologetic about the, the kind of cheekiness of the question, to put it um, mildly, and, and people kind of take it quite well because uh, it does feel uh, when you're asking that question, it's like it's, it's almost it's almost like an imperialistic sense of uh, we will uh, uh, subsume your Funny team. It's our turn. Yeah, exactly. Wait till you see what we're like as colonial masters. Yeah. <laughs> We know that's, how to do it. We've learned all the tricks. That, that's kind of what it felt like initially, but all of a sudden, then it's a it's a conversation, and pe- people are okay to, to actually have a conversation. But but as I say, I think people who are who are happy enough to listen, hear your accent, stop and talk to you, are probably people who are of an open minded view anyway. Yeah, that's a fair point. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. If you've got a view on that, we'd love to hear from you. We like over six hundred comments on the TikTok uh, that we put up yesterday. Like what? What would the what would the song be? I mean, I'd be happy to ditch. Like to, we could pick a good one. We don't have any, but we could we could find one. Imagine if Sweet Caroline was the national anthem. I look, I Sweet Caroline. I, the lads were talking about the um, the fact that we only had one song uh, for the rugby, and and somebody mentioned Sweet Caroline. It was like immediately poo pooed. Uh, I, I think it was. Um, well, Joe was on. I don't know who else was on. Richie was on. And I don't know who, who the third person was. But there was like a... No, but you were at the World Cup. The karaoke thing is a... Obviously, it's a national pastime in Japan. It works amazingly well. Yeah. We should 100% be having karaoke on the big screen at matches. It works well. Yeah. Like, I mean, they, they do karaoke in Crow Park for big games. They plan the lyrics to our on the big screen. Well, wouldn't it be amazing if they did Sweet Caroline? Yeah, yeah, it would. Uh, certainly in break, breaks of play. Uh, like, and I know that conversation was around uh, songs that could be sung during the game, but you know what? We could ju- we could just absolutely take the piss of national identity and nationalism and just say Sweet Caroline's going to be the anthem, the national anthem. After everybody comes with their series orchestral numbers, we play Sweet Caroline. Whoever wrote it would have to get a lot of royalties, so we'd have to buy them. We could just give them an, an honorary citizenship and, like, pay the money. It's a one-off. yeah. I think I think I think that's a I think that's a pretty easy trade off to to save this island, right? Well, they'd also make a lot of money from the royalties that everybody. It's like constantly number one in the Irish album charts <laughs> <laughs> or uh, iTunes. Uh, let's move on because the other bit of peacemaking that Owen has to do now is to try and solve exactly what the situation is between Cork and Kerry in the football championship. You may have been unaware of the fact that uh, there are some concerts coming. Uh, Ed Sheeran is playing in Porky Cueve and so therefore Porky Cueve is out of commission for the Cork versus Kerry Munster semi-final 
that's where the game would traditionally have been played this year it's their turn and uh, so Cork were like look we can't use that one so we're sticking it in Parky Rain and everybody's like this doesn't seem like that big a deal but then the Munster Council were like no 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 Gaines and Kerry Cork are like no Gaines not in Kerry Gaines and Parky Rain are games nowhere and that's where we stand at the moment mm. Owen solve this oh, before you do actually sorry before we do uh, here's James O'Donoghue and Paddy Andrews talking about this in episode 10 of the football pod it's safe to say they aren't giving Cork a chance in the game anyway have a listen Kerry Cork is going to be moved to Killarney so poor Very Cork are going nice. to lose home advantage because there's work being done on Parky Rin and seemingly the playing surface in Parky Quay won't be ready after the Ed Sheeran concerts in April so 1995, the Munster final, 1995 was the last time Cork beat Kerry and Killarney. So what they looked like a difficult... They won't be Kerry. They won't be Kerry anyway, but why... They, actually, they were saying they were going to put this in Parky Arena. Yeah, that was the plan. What, you could Parky Arena only... only 11,000. 11,000. Yeah, oh, tough. We were we saying it about Antrim Cavan there a couple of weeks ago. Antrim getting home advantage in Corrigan Park. You should get your no, home advantage. No, 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 no. That's fine until they put Ed Sheeran on. That was like, you can't put Ed Sheeran on ahead of, of, of a GA match if it's mm. a GA stadium. Yeah, it's a head scratcher, that one. I, I think that it was wrong. Like the, the main match in the football calendar for Cork is Kerry. And they goes, nah, Ed. I have a feeling, I have a feeling the, Hurland, the Hurland's been affected <laughs> Ed's as got well. some great new shields out there. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it but yeah bring it to Clarny that'll be a good day out get us tickets for that one Tommy we'll get out and do that live yeah I'd love S- to Saturday evening in Clarny be lovely now yeah mate. they're yeah. not going to like look Cork did well to turn it around and win the two st- basically must win games over the last couple of games against Down and Offaly they are not going to be Kerry but lads they had absolutely no chance in October November 2020 I am going to go on record here. Kerry got to win that game and win it well. James, are you not on the panel that day? No, Hammer. <laughs> Do you know what? I it was it was a shock result, but it was one of those where if you were ever going to get caught, it was going to be that day. The weather, the the kind of build up was so Corker poor, Kerry are brilliant. And it, it just, it didn't match up. Do you know, it was just psychologically, I think Kerry took the eye off the ball there, which was a learning curve. Okay. I don't think it'll happen again. But if it's only Killarney, there is absolutely... Let's hope it's a sunny day in Killarney, so. <laughs> on May 7th. Yeah, so game's coming confirmed. Six o'clock throw in, May 7th. Cork are going to get the next two meetings in Porky Cueve. The Cork management team and players are withholding their counsel at the moment. The threat is they're not going to play the game. Parky win or nowhere? Yeah, why, why are you laughing? At? <laughs> well, like yeah, it's it's kind of funny, isn't it? That I mean, they have a stadium and it's it's just not available. Like it is, it is different to Newbridge or nowhere. Like I, I will say that the, the relative qualities of the teams doesn't actually matter here. It shouldn't matter for a conversation like this. It doesn't matter if Cork are not going to win the game wherever it's going to be played. It's about competition fairness and has the competition lost some integrity because this game has been taken away from Cork, given it was their year to have a home fixture. 
And the answer is no, because they're going to get it back in a couple of years. They're like, it's not like the game's been taken away and Cork are never going to have that game again. They'll have it back. They'll have actually more people in Parky Cueve when they play that game at home in Kerry in two or three years' time. With, with, with a squad, if we want to bring it back to competition, which I just said was irrelevant, <laughs> with a squad that, that Keith Rickon has said is, is a young one that they're targeting success in future years. Why can't we back that, that, that squad is going to have, uh, it's going to have Parky Cueve games coming down the line when they come to their peak in a couple of years. Why can't we play in Parky Rin? Like I would say that the real reason is that it's too small. That that is why this game has not been played in Parky Rin. And yes, there is um, precedent for Newbridge. That that's where the, the Newbridge precedent is. Is that the GA were like, well, I mean, we're not gonna. This is a big fixture. It's Mayo. We can't be putting Mayo in a, in a stadium that small. We got to get Croke Park numbers off them. The same thing can be said for this fixture. That's where the comparison lies. But where the comparison falls down is that everybody was angry with the GA over Newbridge or nowhere. Whereas it seems in this case. It's Cork GEA's fault because they were the ones that allowed Ed Sheeran to come in and ruin the Munster Championship. But, like, uh, you know, this whole thing about um, it's our stadium, we should use it for our games. It, I mean, it's not your stadium. The banks own the stadium because you owe the banks tens and tens and tens and tens of millions. Now, maybe they don't. Maybe they actually owe Croke Park tens and tens. Whoever the ultimate guarantor is, it's not... So Cork GA can't pay their bills at the moment on that because the stadium massively overran. It was like four or five times more expensive than it was supposed to be. So you've got to you've got to pay in this case the piper and the piper's Ed Sheeran and his fans, and you've got to take that money. Like if you want that stadium and the stadium isn't there for this year, the stadium is there supposed to be for the next two decades, three decades, four decades, and it's supposed to be a facility that they're going to be able to use. But you've got to service the debt. You have to have the gigs. Ed Sheeran isn't available to come all the time. Mm. I mean, maybe he is. Maybe it's going to be an annual thing. But like, it, it they got unfortunate with it. I don't. And and you know, if Cork GA have decided that their home game is going to be in Porky Rin, that's up to Cork GA and Munster Council should be told to go stuff themselves. Mm. I, like, I think. I, I mean, I. I can actually I know this is kind of disappointing to hear I can actually kind of see both sides to this on like on the one end good people on both sides yeah well no, no there's only good people on one side of this but I can see the bad people and what they're saying as well uh, like I, first of all the fact that by, with health and safety regulations by the way this is a 9,000 capacity state. yeah they have a bit of work to do to get it to 11,000 they do so it is tiny but I, I can see just about why they could get this game there as opposed to say a, a hurling game because of what happened last summer Cork got absolutely hammered in Killarney nobody expects them to win this game and that'll affect the attendance Can I, yeah, I was going to say is there a possibility either way so I think by fixing it for 6 o'clock on a Saturday evening they have managed to uh, juice the attendance figures up to whatever they lost for the fact that no one thinks it's going to be anything I'd say the spread is between 9 and 11 points if you're pricing this up today it could be 14 points if it's in Killarney it definitely is yeah so that's what I'm saying in Killarney Clarny three o'clock on a Sunday. Are you gonna go? I'm not sure. The Kerry people will go. Yeah. Zero core people, like the diehards, the family members, the backroom team family members, and I think you underestimate how much core people love a weekend in Clarny. And uh, of course, six o'clock on Saturday uh, it, it makes that an even more attractive case. But what I will say is that like last year was a COVID year, and Cork people still travelled in their droves to Clarny that weekend. They weren't going to the games; they were just standing in a beer garden watching it. A couple of them got into the game because it was a five thousand maybe or something like that that were allowed in. But there was massive expectation there last year. After after what had happened in 2020 and, and that I think is dimmed this year what I will say though on top of this as well is that why why did Cork give away games when Parky Cueva is being rebuilt why didn't they play games 
in when Parky Cueve was being rebuilt? Why didn't they play games in Parky Rin at home to Kerry during that period? All of a sudden, Parky Rin is really important to the Cork footballers. If it was that important, they why didn't they play the there instead of giving games to Kerry during the Parky Cueve redevelopment? And what happened and there? That's because of money. Right. And now all of a sudden, money's not important to, to, to Cork or to, to, to the people making the decisions here. So. That, for me, I think is a bit of a contradiction. If Parky Rin is that important to you, then well, it, it shouldn't a, in, just be there fairness, when Sheeran's in town. In fairness, there's a new, there's a new administrative broom in, in they're, Cork. They're yeah. progressive. They're uh, very intelligent. They're like, you would say, some of the best sports administrators in Ireland are in Cork at the moment. They uh, be doing a good job. I'm not, not disputing job. that. Yeah. yeah, and so maybe that's the change. Maybe they're looking at that and going, well, we shouldn't have done that then. We should have actually established that this would have been a hard place for Kerry to come, given them a game, and try to like help our team to progress. I, I do think, I can... I can I see your point, right? If you're Keith Drakin, you're like, we'll give this year away, we'll build for the qualifiers. Give away draft picks. And uh, for the next two years, yeah. when the games are going to be in Parky Cueve, we're going to give Kerry a right run because they'll be all Ireland champions at that stage. But is he going to be around guaranteed? Is he, is it automatic that he's going to be there to see the fruits of the labour this year? I'm not sure. Like, And also... If you're in the court dressing room and you're the management team and you're looking for a little bit of a spark, like there's a chance here, right? There is a little bit of a chance. Literally, everybody is against us. Like, the Ed Sheeran fans are against us. The Kerry Football Fraternity are against us. The Munster Council, well, they're 100% against us. What are we going to do here? Are we going to stand up and fight? Yes, we are. Yeah, and I think that'll be quite a cork thing to do. Uh, like I do, I will say that there didn't seem to be much of noise around this uh, with, before the last fortnight. Before this became a sort of oh, this game maybe changed. Uh, I just assumed it would be in Parky Green. I didn't think that they yeah. would flick it to because it uh, because I don't think it's the glamour fixture that it has been. It's a Division Three team against the best team in the country, and it's going to be Division Two, like Division Two. Yeah, sorry, ne- they they were nearly a Division Three team. Uh, it feels like a Division 3 team but mm. like All right, well, uh, 10, 12 points could be 25 points it, w- it was it was in the calendar as Parky were in for May the 7th and nobody was kicking up a, a much of a fuss about it maybe they were privately or maybe I'm, maybe people that I don't know were kicking up a fuss about it but this became a story when it was announced a couple of weeks ago that this fixture may be moved that's when this really went into overdrive it was like Ed Sheeran's in Parky Cueve that's where the game's on in Parky Rin, and away we go but now it's now it's become complicated and now that it's like the game may be moved everybody's like hmm yeah you know what it should be moved so uh, it'll be interesting to see what the Cork football team actually do here because Keane O'Neill was pivotal to the Newbridge and Aware movement he was the one who, who really put the foot down but again he would have been looking at that fixture and, uh, and Mayo Kildare don't have a home away agreement whereas Kerry and Cork do I think the fact that that was a one-off game yeah, in the exactly. qualifiers it was never going to happen again absolutely Kildare had to do that for yeah. Cork I, I, I look um, I do absolutely see the point as well. If you're thinking long term about this, you give it to Kerry and you you actually try and negotiate like some kind of better deal. It's like nah, I'm not doing it one year. If you're taking this game off, you need to give us an extra year. So it's like we're our trade is it's not just one off one one for one here. So you're playing hardball. Yeah, a little bit. Then it becomes Limerick. Then it's like right, let's move this into a neutral venue and let's just write this year off. And then we'll get our home game next year. Yeah. A little bit the hurlers like, and uh, they're going to Semple, aren't they? Clare and Cork that that first weekend of May, but that's obviously a different situation. They play a lot of those big hurling games in neutral venues. Um, so yeah, like I, I, I'm not sure. I think I think the reality is that maybe Cork will might, might actually accept it and and play the game in Clarny for future years. But you don't know. You don't know what what that that camp is thinking. You don't know what how much they rate themselves. Maybe they they have been like keeping the powder dry and are, are going big this summer. 
Um, it's going to be very, very interesting to see if there's going to be another element to the story. James O'Donoghue did not believe that they were keeping the power dry. and No, not at all. Neither did Paddy, to be fair. No, I don't think anybody does. No. it's This like, is the most written-off team that I can remember. Because there's no incentive, there was no incentive whatsoever to keep your powder dry in Division 2 this year, given the massive risk of getting relegated. And also the massive incentive of getting into Division 1 again. If they, like, for, for them to, to beat Kerry, they need to be as good as Galway, Roscommon, Derry, if not better. And they've proven that they're a step below those teams. Griff says, would Cork GEA have moved to Hurlers? Not a chance. Football in Cork is dead. <laughs> now, could you not just say they did move to Hurlers? Uh, well, like I mean, they've gone neutral on that one. I'm not sure what the were. Their game against Clare. I'm not sure what the original status was. Yeah, I, know I don't know. Parky, what I think that was supposed to be Parky Queeve, and now they've agreed to actually play that in in a neutral ground. Yeah, I, I can. I don't know. Maybe it it would be good if I don't know. Do Cork need two stadiums? They probably do for the league. Parky Queeve might be too big for all those league games. But you suspect next season when they'll play as many games as they can in Parky Cueve right well, like, yeah well Parky Ren is, is perfect for a league game at times when you've got 10,000 people in there like that's that, that that's what you're kind of maxing out at quite often especially in the early stages of the league when the weather is cold and miserable Michael O'Connor says off the football again this morning I love the balance uh, Tommy Walsh is going to join us in five minutes so we'll be off the hurling in uh, five minutes and uh, we just were talking about the soccer team before that and the rugby team but your look which is technically football I guess he could have been talking about either um, perhaps he, he's uh, he's one of those um, he's got a, a universal view when it comes to the word football he likes everything fair enough and you know that's a it's a, a style Peter says I suppose the real question is will Kerry play their A team maybe not I mean they shouldn't uh, you know they, they can be vanilla all the way through to the All-Ireland semi-finals this year they'll be on the beach they'll have won the big one this weekend uh, a reminder OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day massive night in the Champions League last night as the uh, second leg Barcelona beat Real Madrid 5-2 8-3 on aggregate um, before a full new camp we talked with Emma Byrne about this she was actually commentating for Barca TV for their English language version yesterday and um, uh, she was just talking about the surge of popularity around it. You were watching a bit of this. You caught the the highlights, and Graham Hunter was tweeting about it last night. It was one of the, the great Champions League nights in New Camp. And the thing is, if, if you uh, close your eyes and listen to some of the goals, especially I think it was Claudia Pina's goal, uh, which put Barcelona back ahead on the night. It was that same sort of, you know, that guttural roar that you just see Messi celebrating to. It sounded exactly the same, um, which you kind of don't really have in English football at all, which was remarkable. And like it was for quite a section of the game, looked like this might actually turn into something that Real Madrid might be able to, to cause some sort of comeback as they were 2-1 up on the night. And a couple of the goals were absolutely incredible like that. As Ornosa goal that put Real Madrid 2-1 up on the night, it was like Patrick Schick at the Euros last year, right in front of the centre circle. She spots the goalkeeper off the line and over the head. The, the flailing image of the goalkeeper trying to get it just completely adds to the goal. And then that Claudia Pina goal, as I mentioned, just an insane chip from the left-hand side, wasn't it? So um, just two, those two goals in particular just were of unbelievable quality so Barcelona and Paris Saint-Germain into uh, the last four of the Champions League you've got uh, Wolfsburg against Arsenal today at four, 5.45 and then Leon Juventus as well uh, the other of the, the last eight games um, OK Peter's been back in touch to, to give out to us you missed the edge here in pun lads I suppose the real question is will Kerry play their A team are you, ah. are you an edge here in fan uh, like I, I, I am aware of, of the, of the catalogue I used to be a bigger fan but then he appeared on Game of Thrones you were like oh he's jumped the shark jumped the shark and you know uh, yeah that that's it exactly no not really I was never a massive fan but, but he's uh, I, I, can, I can see the appeal 
to an extent. Um, go on, explain the appeal. Uh, he's he's got a, a radio friendly uh, tendency to to produce music, and people like that. He's, he's been doing it for a decade now. I'm just looking here. The first album was released yeah. 2011. Yeah, and that that went massive. That was massive. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was probably that was probably the peak of peak of my uh, my. I guess I don't want to say love. I never really loved Ed Sheeran, but my peak of my liking for Ed Sheeran. It was kind of like leaving Start Summer, so you're in uh, the same nightclub every weekend, and it's the same songs every weekend, and it's the same Ed Sheeran same, song, the same it's bitter taste of rejection every weekend, <laughs> and and but a, but a, a side of cider. Yeah, that was that was the life. I miss those days. <laughs> Oh, such happy, happy times. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, PSG and Bayern Munich finished 2-all after extra time. Uh, PSG won 4-3 in aggregate. I think you were saying the key point to this is that it's all on YouTube and it was free to air. Um, so those games ended up having huge audiences. Uh, Arsenal are playing tonight and I think they're playing for the right to face Barcelona in the semi-finals. Uh, that game kicks off at half five so you can... Um, you can obviously watch that. Can you watch that on YouTube as well? Are the English games on YouTube too? I'm yeah, actually there. Yeah, there, there, there. Yeah. So check out the Zone YouTube channel. You'll get all those for you as well. Uh, right, coming up this hour, Tommy Walsh is going to join us in a moment. We've got the uh, newspapers. We've got Mickey Quinn of Longford helping us to preview the Division Three League final. We've got more from uh, Brawley a little bit later on, and uh, we'll bring you some highlights from the debate about whether or not boo should be banned at the Viva during the actual matches itself for the rugby games in the Six Nations. Tommy Walsh next. OTB AM. Right, we're going to get into the papers in the ad break there. You'll have heard a clip from our brand new Six Nations show. Alison Miller and Fiona Hayes talking to Ashling O'Reilly. Vodafone are proudly supporting the Irish women's rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. We can start, I think, with otbsports.com this morning for you. Uh, don't write off Will Keane yet. That's Dan McDonald on the football show. Uh, his timing was so unfortunate. Jerry Thorny talking about Damien Dialende. Munster's Gavin Coombs signs a contract extension. And... Um, uh, Keen Fahey's piece uh, highlighting what Ireland still need to do to get better about Tuesday's piece. I'm going to start uh, with the newspapers this morning. The back page of the Irish Sun is do you have to read this in the Keith Duffy accent? Republic of Thailand. Uh Manning, we're running our rivals into the ground. Good free ads. Uh, Thailand, they will, they'll come to you if, you if you've gone, if you've got a puncture they will drive to you and fix it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a service. No, it, it certainly is. There are other services out there, but that is a service. Yeah. I can't think of any others, though. Uh, Ryan Manning believes Ireland's late, late shows will keep coming by wearing out the opposition. Troy Parrott scored a 97th minute winner against Lithuania on Tuesday night and the boys in green netted after the 85th minute for the sixth game in their eight-match unbeaten run. Why is it? It's because we're fitter than everybody else. Uh, other, uh, the... the just want to say that like we, we might be entering a golden age for the sub-editors bandwagon did you get it? yeah I, I get it there were band five players there. are to receive one match banned because of the row at the end of last Sunday's Armad Donegal clash but more could follow bandwagon it's all one word but it's not really bandwagon it's because they're getting banned mm-hmm. uh, I, I should just flick through all these um the Examiner, Ian Mallon's got an interesting story uh, on, this is his new column, The Pitch, Inside the Business of Sport. The FAI said to kick two and a half million off the value of the Ireland sponsorship, so they reduced the price at the moment. Um, it was supposed to be two and a half million, now it's going to be about 1.6, close enough to it. A reduction of uh, just over 800 grand per year over the three years, which obviously works out at two and a half million, and they currently don't have a deal at the moment. Uh, interesting piece from Tommy Martin talking about how international football... Uh, it matters so much to people now because 
I think people are falling out of love with the fact that you're supporting corporations, uh, the Netflixization of Manchester United, all that kind of stuff is feeding into a general sense of, actually, I really like my international football team. This team, they are who we are. Yeah, I, I also feel that like there's just uh, the, the geographical sense of things as well, which you kind of get more of a, an authentic feel to it if, if you check in on the, if you're a League of Ireland fan, uh, or even if you're supporting a team overseas when they're in the lower divisions even, there's kind of a more authentic feel to it all. Core consider next move and venue dispute. That's like a boy story on that. And you'd have to wonder if they're going to pull the strike. Is that, it's a bit nuclear, but it might be the thing for the team, is it? The thing is, if they pull the strike, Kerry will just be like, I don't care. Let's just play it there. And and that'll be that. And I'll be like, oh, big hullabaloo over nothing. Unless, unless there, there's an ambush Unless there. The, the, the actual GA Chiefs are like, no, we, we really actually want to get m- money back because we've lost two years of uh, attendances. Perhaps, perhaps. Let's move on to the hurling this weekend. I'm delighted to say Tommy Walters with us. Tommy, good morning to you. How are you? Yeah, good morning, lads. Uh, I, I'm always... Uh, I think we, we kind of... Uh, in the, the build-up last year to the game between Cork and I think it was Limerick, we were like, oh, this is going to be really interesting to see exactly where Cork are. And then Cork put out a bit of a shadow team and I've always thought that it was a terrible, terrible mistake last season because it never gave them an opportunity to see in the full throat at that stage of the season where they were versus the best team in the country. There's been no false teams from Cork at any stage over the course of the league. They're going full bore for this. And I presume it's going to be the same this weekend, that there's just this sense of this team wanting to win everything now. Yeah, because you can't beat habits and good habits and winning habits. They're so important when it comes to the crunch time, Jer. When the game is in the melting pot with maybe five minutes to go and you're a pint up or a pint down, that's when you really need to have experience of being there and done that. So you start putting out shadow teams, Jer. I don't care if it's a you know a water crystal or a Welsh Cup or an early a challenge match. If you're going out and you're only half heart in any game, that could happen to you then at any stage uh, for the for, for the next year. Alex Ferguson always said it like if you did it once, you can do it again. And the opposite uh, is also so true. If you can put out a full team in a crunch game and cut, you know like say last week against Kilkenny, Kilkenny got off out of the starter blocks. They were on fire, playing a lovely brand of hurling. They were scoring goals. The Kilkenny crowd was buzzing. And they stuck with them and stuck with them. And as we had 10 minutes to go in crunch time, Cork came good. And it's them kind of games stand here, Ger, uh, when it comes to championship. The only time that it affects you, as you said, if you power a dummy team, so when you do lose, say with 10 minutes to go, if you start falling away, you can start laying on the excuse Actually, we didn't power a full team. We didn't really want to win it. But when you go to win it and happen to do it, well, that gives you the great experience that you can bring forward into the crunch times in championship. And like they're going out against Waterford this weekend. They'll be putting out, like we've seen last weekend, they took off Patrick Horgan. I've never seen that before. So they do mean business and they are preparing for championship, I think, mentally as much as physically. And how important would it be for this group to win something? Um, well, I think very important for them to try and win it, that you're not going out half-heartedly. I, I think they've, they will gain huge confidence from last weekend against Kilkenny. They always know a Brian Cody team. They will never lay down. They'll never power a dummy team. Uh, every match is an all-earned final to that team. So a win over them in a league semi-final is worth its weight in gold. I don't think it's hugely crucial because, uh, you know, some of these lads, they have under-21 All-Irelands, they have Munster finals, uh, you know, more the older guys, they, they have Munster championships. So I don't think a title as such is hugely important to them. But I think 
if they could, you know, win it, it'll give them huge confidence maybe down the road if they do happen to beat Watford or happen to meet uh, Cork. I think it's more important, to be honest, Ger, that Watford get a title. Okay. I think this, this team has lost a lot of finals. Well, before um, before we get into yeah. Waterford in too, ma- too much detail, because this is kind of our last opportunity to talk properly about Kilkenny for a while before the, the championship starts, we said last time you were on that we'd learn a lot more from them over the la- next couple of weeks, um, the, the last couple of big games they had. And you'd have to say the signs are very positive, but it's probably a fairly accurate reflection of where they are at the moment. They're just that little bit behind the best teams in the country. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. I think the top three in the country are Water, Cork and Limerick. There's no doubt about that. The start of the year, we thought Limerick were out on their own. They went through, you know, a bit of a, a patch where things weren't going so well for them. But the, the two pretenders to the throne, Cork and Watford, who have been producing it during the last couple of years and have been producing underage, they've been coming firing on all cylinders and definitely are up there just with Limerick, I would even say at this stage. Just underneath then, you have the rest. And Kilkenny are probably, in my opinion, probably top of the rest. Um, but what's so exciting from a Kilkenny point of view is the brand of Hurland they're playing. Listen, we all love the game, the old way. Get the ball up, every forward wins, you know, wins his own ball. But the game has changed so much, and it's because of your competition. You're now not just playing against six-backs. Sometimes you could be playing against seven or eight. So just lumping the ball forward and trying to win your own ball, it's, just, it's not as easy anymore. It's grand if the other team goes 15 on 15, but most teams don't. Like, say, last weekend now, you have Mellorick kind of... You know, he's covering, we'll say, the centre forward. Say last weekend it was Park. He was covering him at times. So you're probably not getting the free pass out and over the bar. Um, the centre back, Mark Coleman, then can go back sweeping. But it's not a sweeper as such. It's just that he's playing kind of a, you know, a Roy Keane type of midfielder. Like you're always back helping your defenders. And um, that's what Mellerick, I think he's after adding huge uh, to that Cork team. So, yeah, Kilkenny, I think where they've learned is in the first half, Jerry, we saw they played a beautiful brand of hurling up through the lines at times, long at times, just varying it around. Towards the thought in the second half, when it really came down to it, it was pass back to Murphy and launch it up. So I'd say, you know, if they, they go back and analyse that match, uh, where it was won and lost or where they produced the scores, we'll say, versus where it kind of fell apart as such for them. And I would say it was definitely with the way they probably went more long in the second half. And listen, there is definitely a place for that long ball, but only if it's to advantage your team. You're not just driving it up kind of with, with your eyes closed. And I definitely thought in the second half, a lot of balls went back to Murphy. And even if they do go short, Jer, it's much harder to build an attack from the goal um, because so much can, you know, a, a pass just maybe half a, an, half a yard to the right or to the left, it's gone from you. It's, 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 it's much more difficult to do but if you're building from the half back line so instead of turning back you turn forward and take three or four steps lay it off with a 20 yard pass much easier doing that or drive it into the corner you'll have your vision your, your head will be up and you might see a run from Billy Ryan or Mossy Keown or TJ hopefully when he's back so I would like to see more of Hurling like they did in the first half than the second and so are you concerned that they went away from that under pressure is that a sign that they don't fully believe what they're doing or is that just natural because it's only betting in? What's the what's your instinct about that? Yeah, from playing myself, so hard to change a style overnight. So I think it, 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 it's, it's not that they don't believe in it. I'd say it's just when it came to it, possibly they might have lost. You know, there was a couple of ones that went out around midfield, maybe Keane Kenny and a few of them where they lost it. 
and maybe this right let's start going long again you know the safe option as opposed to maybe listen we lost that one but we'll win the next one so I think it's just you you made a great point there bedding it in like that's what this is all about so I think this could actually benefit us more that they have the experience now of right lads when it came to it when we lost a couple of the short ones we just started going long all the time and as I said there's no harm in going long but just not all the time and when it's not the best option so I think they'll go back and look at that and they'll work on training the next couple of weeks that right lads a couple of these could go you know could go wrong around the midfield and could go back over the bar but let's stick to it it has worked for us and we have to do it because this is what the top teams are doing and this is how we're going to win in All-Ireland so I think they, you know the way they say you learn more in defeat than you do in, in, in victory I don't always believe in that but in this instance I would as regards you learn more by seeing how the long ball broke down as opposed to what was working for you. And and I, I'm not instigating that you go short all the time at all. Um, geez, you know, a ball into the square is, is brilliant at times too. Um, it's just that you don't go all one way or the other. Do you think sometimes Cody gets a bit of a, a hard rap when it comes to conversations around innovation within hurling? Like he's been getting a lot of credit over the last little while because, I mean, there, there's this idea out there that that he's kind of moving with the times finally. But God, I, I wonder over the last couple of years, has he actually shown that innovation anyway? They just haven't been winning All-Irelands. Like if you take the, the 2019 All-Ireland semi-final and, and getting the job done over that great Limerick team. I mean, I, I wonder, do we, do we sometimes quickly forget some of those great moments from Kilkenny down through the last couple of years? They just haven't had the players to get over the line in an All-Ireland final. Yeah, I agree with you on. Um, like, if you go back and look at the All Ireland champions over the last couple of years, like, like people, people tend to, you know, what's popular, what's new, what's different. People love jumping on that bandwagon. But like, if you're in the Brian Cody camp, like, who has won the All Ireland since Kilkenny? 2016, Tipperary, very much, you know, movement, plenty of different, plenty of movement. You know, Callan was kind of left inside in his own two-man full forward line, but definitely, you know, a lot of long ball. 17. Um, Galway won it again the same thing big physical team uh, forward line we're doing a lot of rotating a lot of moving canning Niall Borkin the lads uh, we played them in 2012 first time I've seen you scored they moved on to a new position and um, you didn't know kind of who you were marking a lot of the time you just had to pick up the nearest man to you you know asking questions of the defenders so 2017 Galway win long ball 2018 Limerick win you know they weren't playing the game they're playing at the moment 19 Tipperary win again with long ball uh, then you have obviously Limerick kind of took over then after that so like has as the other style of hurling you know made teams be champions no you know Limerick yes but Limerick have a brilliant team I'd say they'd win it anyway they play it but um, but so go back to Cody and innovation like from my experience of playing with him we changed our style uh, in 06 to, to, to play that Cork team with the running game we changed our style in 10 uh, after winning four All Irelands, Tipperary, you know the, the the you know the turned us over in the All Ireland 2010 with different types of movement. Then you know Shea like put a lot of time into showing the guys how to move, and we had to get our heads around that. He innovated there, and you know he's innovated again now at the moment. And um, you know so listen, he he does deserve credit that like I always said, Brian Cody was never black and white. Brian Cody's probably greatest skill was his common sense. He was able to treat players differently. Uh, three teams differently and um, you know very much a common sense approach to hurling and he's definitely shown he's brought lads in with him you know Mickey Comfort one of the top strength and conditioning guys in the country uh, I've experienced with Mickey myself just absolutely top class guy very good at you know the spirit of the camp as well um, Brian Connor feeling now with plenty of experience there in 
you know, he's won county finals in Carlow, he's won Fitzgibbon Cups, this guy is with Kenny Camogie, plenty of experience as well. So yes, uh, I would say sometimes um, it's not just black and white, like um, he, he's not just um, coaching teams, like let's get the ball in, like he, he will change things up. He did also manage the transition from one of the greatest teams of all time uh, and keep the team competitive every year to the point where they were nicking some Leinster titles and beating that Limerick team. And, you know, it's it, we'll never know what life would have been like if he'd stepped away whenever you guys all stepped away. But at the same time, you know, he didn't have that great cast of players to call on and they have still been competitive. Yeah, and like, you look at Manchester United after... Um, Say after Alex Ferguson left, changed around a lot of managers. Has that changed? Um, you look at Arsenal, my team, the Gunners, back from the days of Ian right, right, right. Um, like they got rid of Wenger. Like how long were they trying to get rid of Wenger? And um, you know, it's only starting to come right there now. Uh, you know, under Arteta, they're starting to show maybe some potential there. You look at Bill Belichick over in the Patriots. Like, uh, they said he was the greatest manager of all time. Suddenly, Brady was gone. You know, the quarterback of the, the greatest football player, you know, in my opinion. that You know, listen, I don't have much experience with American football, but I think he, he deserves to be the greatest footballer, I'd say, of all time. Maybe Jerry Rice might be up there with him. But, like, you know, it's not all just black and white get rid of the manager suddenly yeah. everything changes so let, let, yeah I think he deserves huge credit let's talk a little bit about uh, Waterford and what they've done because um, again like the decision on uh, Liam Cal's point to stay was this like uh, we just all assumed in the off season that the temporary job was going to be his and he was going to go and that was just it because that was what we had assumed for a number of years but actually you know his decision to stay now makes perfect sense in retrospect that is a group of players who are completely wedded to his style and who are hurling for him and he seems like an absolutely brilliant brilliant manager so uh, of all of the stories that we would like to see in sport the Mayo footballers overcoming their hoodoo but Waterford winning an All-Ireland at this stage will kick hurling into like the stratosphere I think just because this Limerick team are so good and they're going to be around for the next couple of years but if Waterford could get over the line what a ride that would be over the next couple of years that's why that's why we're genuinely excited about it and kind of hoping that we don't get let down again. Yeah, and like from a water, Waterford perspective, these players, like forget about Waterford the county, but these particular players, they have experienced Gerald winning. They've won minor All-Irelands, they've won 21 All-Irelands, they've won Fitzgibbons, um, and now look at Bally Gunner. I think Bally Gunner should be the template for this, you know, the Waterford as a county. Try, get beaten, try, get beaten. 7, 10, 15, 20 years, stay going, stay going up the standards try new things suddenly then this year uh, like they're about to play St. Thomas's and um, you know I'd say they probably would have preferred to play St. Thomas's in the All-Ireland final Ballygunner because you know they would have no you know St. Thomas's were just you know a small club in Galway beat a very successful but maybe they wouldn't have had the same fear they would have Ballygunner than Ballyhale Ballyhale never lose club All-Irelands so to get them in the All-Ireland final you're thinking maybe before the final you you know, our luck is out again. We're playing the greatest club team, hurling team maybe of all time. And they go out, they're getting beaten. Um, you know, things look like they were after coming back into it after Dizzy Hutchison's goal. Suddenly then Owen Reid comes on, who scored so many important goals for Bally Hale over the years. He puts the ball in the back of the net. And, you know, even Shane Sullivan, I so much respect for him after that final. And, and also Sully from college. 
he die in the Wool Valley gunner man. Loves hurling, loves the game, and he went down to control the ball and it went under his hurl and Henri put the ball in the net. And like looking at it on as a neutral, like you know, you know, damn, you're saying like you'd hate for that to happen to a player or a team in a final. They come back then and and, and scored a, a goal with the last puck of the game. Shane Sullivan after that went on had a glorious last couple of minutes. You know, mentally very very strong. So this is the template for Watford that you stay going. If it doesn't happen this year, go again next year a minute. So Jerry, I think the whole. If, as long as they're not beating your team, I think the whole country would <laughs> yeah. love to see Watford in it all Ireland. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spoken to somebody very close to that border down there, going, well, if, if they, we just avoid them. If they beat everybody else but us, that would be fine. Uh, how good are they? Yeah, no, they're excellent. They're building a huge panel. Um, like you see them last weekend uh, against Wexford. Like Wexford were coming and coming, and they were in the tough. Uh, division of the league this year and um, you know got to the league semi-final on credit I think they haven't been beaten I think this year that Wexford team and um, like Stephen Bennett is out injured I don't know what's wrong with Stephen Bennett um, like he was lighting up the league for, for the whole of the league and he's after missing the last couple of matches I thought they were maybe just resting him there in the last round of the league but against Kilkenny but he missed again there the weekend so you'd be hoping that there just maybe it might be just small little niggle that he'd be right for either this weekend or, or championship in two weeks time and they're missing Jamie Barron uh, Prunty wasn't playing again the weekend so they're building a huge panel here Jaron. that's I think the most important thing for them the championship is gone now where you win a match and you have three or four weeks off you win a Munster final you have four or five weeks off now you need everyone because you're playing week to week and um, they're building a huge panel they're building uh, confidence I think as I said the Bally Gunner thing I think it give them huge confidence a lot of them players they got over the line when, when time was at its toughest so yeah they're good uh, why are they now suddenly potential uh, champions Chair, you need forwards right listen they say defence wins championships forwards win games but any team that wins an All-Ireland they have a marquee forward or the marquee forwards and they have, we'll say, Stephen Bennett, they have Shane Bennett, they have Ozzy Gleeson, but they have the star of the show, the the, the, the man that came back from across the water. Um, you don't go over to the Premier League, um, you know, if you're only an ordinary talent. You have to be the elite of the elite. You're talking about the Premier League is not just a, a, an English league or a British league. This is the, probably the best league in the world. And he was over there nearly making it and came home because the, the attraction of the game back here brought him back. We're after seeing what he's done with Bally Gunner and we're seeing what he's doing with Watford. So he is the star forward that. Go back to the All-Ireland final again. Ball came in, they're under pressure. Caught, he's used to the ball out in front here. Caught a ball uh, between him and his marker, buried it. Um, you know, the last couple of weeks he's been scoring very, very important goals. He could have scored probably three last weekend. So he is the elite of the elite and himself, along with the other guy, one man will not win a, win a championship. They've tied the work at centre-back. So like the, in the key positions, right up along the field, they've, they've stars. Like um, You go back to the Tipperary team that won, it was very successful at three All-Irelands, at Callanan, Paddy Mar, you know, stars. Um, you go back to the Limerick team at the moment, they have stars. The, the, the Galway team that go over the line 17, the Canning, Dahi Burke, you know, Garrod. So stars you do need stars surrounded by a brilliant panel and um you know i think that that's that's what gives everyone hope i say within Watford um that they have a panel but they have stars within that panel and maybe trying to figure out how to win a big game without Austin Gleeson may actually not be the worst thing in the world this weekend yeah well i, I think you're only a number um on that like you're there as part of the panel and uh just cuz he's gone someone else steps in 
and that's what the great teams that's their their mindset that's their personalities um like um La, you know they're missing Stephen Bennett they're missing Barron like I say at the start of the season would you say Le- Watford would be in a league final or you know being probably top of people you know in the top three of people's you know predictions to win a championship without Stephen Bennett um, without Jamie Barron Prunty and all these lads I'd say you wouldn't you know Paragamatney's only coming back I suppose the Belly Gunner lads are only coming back recently so you'd say no um, so I think Austin Gleeson's out someone else comes in and, and on we go you know, so I was disappointed to see Austin Gleeson getting sent off last weekend, you know, and it is, you know, I know lads will say, you know, I shouldn't have, but like, did anyone show him being shoved into the fence? Like, you know, and they're showing the camera angles there after the game, like, you know, they're showing about 50 or 60, no, not 50 or 60, but they're showing, you know, five or six times the, the replays and replays of Austin Gleeson, you know, uh, just barely tipping back the hurl. I know, listen, it could have been dangerous and uh, not condone that for, for, for a second but it's a little a little tip I thought and but listen right I, I'm not saying like the red cards are red cards in the modern game that's the way it's gone but did anyone show that the camera angles of him being shoved into the fence no and I thought you know let's be fair about it okay so there should be a consequence for provoking the foul and there should be a consequence for the foul as well did, like, and I totally understand that if you if you were if you're having a chat with him this week in training everything is cold everybody is calm what are you saying to him? I was just saying to him, the game has changed, you know. Um, see, look, we've all grown up. The game has only really changed in the last couple of years with this kind of thing, Jar. Like, when we grew up, and Austin Gleeson the same, like, you know, he's 25 or 26 now. So he's playing Horn since he was probably 12, you know, it's a competitive Horn since he was probably 10, I'd say. So you're talking about 16 years ago. Um, you know, going back to the, to, to, to the early 2000s. The mindset back then was you look after yourself. If a lad comes up digging, yeah, you know, or shoving you around, look after yourself. Don't be going over to me looking for help. Don't be going to the umpires. Don't be going to the referee. That's kind of softness, you know. Look after yourself. I'm just saying this is the old mindset the way it was when all these players were growing up, and you can't just change that overnight. So be trying to educate them and just show them, right, Austin, this game has changed. Right, yes, it might not look good that you're going over to the referee telling them did you see that or going over to the umpire um, but that's just what you have to do now this is the way because everyone like if RT aren't at the game TJ Carroll are at the game if they're not at the game some sort of you know internet uh, you know live stream will be at the game so camera angles are going to pick up that and you can't look after yourself anymore the game has changed so I'd be just be more educating them than, than giving, them, giving them a scolding because you know like Liam Cal grew up in like Tipperary Hurland tough from Ballingarry like you know that's tough hurling this is the way we were brought up but it it has changed regards just looking after yourself you know and um, so that's why I'd be saying to Dawson uh, during the week that listen let's change this around now like DJ Carey I remember DJ had a great one now DJ never will say looked after himself DJ said toughness take the belts and punish him on the score scoreboard and he was dead right he was dead right that is the real toughness and um, but I remember we were playing a team one, one time and um, we were talking about that the, 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 we were playing a tough team and you know the, do we look after ourselves or you know do we maybe go to the referee or what you know that what was the thing do you punish him on the scoreline so DJ stood on there and he said um, no lads we'll punish him on the scoreline no fighting fire with fire he said I was marking a, one, a lad one day he said and, and he was digging me all the game 
And I said, DJ, no, calm now. We'll punish him on the scoreboard. Next ball, he said, came in. I buried it, he said. And I said, and not finished his career. Well, he never played for that county again. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you the county or the name. I know who they are, but I wouldn't insult them there or anything like that. But I thought, we still talk about it to this day. Like, it was one of the glorious saves before a big game that I've ever <laughs> witnessed. And, like, DJ, though, I, you know, I wasn't as mentally, I will say, tough. Regards, if a lad hit me, he'd be kind of, you know, getting back, kind of. But DJ was the toughest of the toughest. You hit DJ, he'd never hit you back. Next time you got the ball, he'd block you. He'd take it off you. He'd bury the ball in the back of the net. And Brian Cody, that was always his mindset to us. And that's what he always said to, to his teams going out. That's the real toughness. Take the belts and, and, and get on with it. So I think, you know, that's what you'd be trying to maybe have that conversation with Austin during the week, you know. What would you have done if you were shoved into a fence? <laughs> Next question. <laughs> <laughs> How long would the suspension have been? <laughs> uh, listen, I've often presented medals around the country. You know, I can't do it. I'm very busy, but I have from time to time. Nearly the first thing a lot of always say to be gritting his teeth, shaking around to if I was marking you, he said. <laughs> and you know what he do with you. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I listen. I think you know yourself what I would have done back. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to win? Give us a prediction. It sounds like you're leaning Waterford. No, Cork. I'll <laughs> 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 <All> be talk. <laughs> no, I think. I think. No, I, I think this. I think it's going to be a fantastic battle. I think it's going to be a battle of speed. Cork of unbelievable speed. I think you know down in Parky Creeve, it was huge. You know, I say. They outnumbered Kenny Swarders, you know, probably, I don't know, is there 16,000 at it? Probably 10 or 12 or 13,000, probably Cork. Cork are behind this team. They sense there's, there's something coming down the line. They like the players. So there's going to be a huge buzz in Turles this weekend. And I think that's the way they're playing. They're playing with that Razzmatazz, that Cork team. And they're up against Was Cal Bravo Wofford, a mental toughness, a toughness that they're never bet. And, um, so I think it'll be a huge, I think, battle, both mentally and I think it'll be speed versus Watford playing up the lines and trying to get into a few moments of genius from the likes of Desi and Shane Bennett and maybe if Stephen Bennett is playing. So I think just the way it's going at the moment, I think Cork are primed for it. And um, I think it, it could be Cork's uh, time to win, yeah. All right, we were talking in the football about it potential trilogy between Kerry and Mayo this is the start of a potential trilogy between these two over the course of the rest of the season as well and I for one am fully signed up for it Tommy good stuff that was great thanks yeah. a million thanks a million good luck bye bye great bye. stuff there from Tommy Walsh uh, helping to whet your appetite ahead of the weekend hurling that game is live on TG Car on Saturday evening with a 7.15 throw in Cork versus Waterford the Division 2A final is Down versus Westmeath Derry Sligo is Division 2B Toronto Armagh is the 3A final and for Matt Longford is the 3B final a reminder OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Breaking news this morning, Formula One have announced a Vegas Grand Prix for 2023. We'll talk to you a little bit more about that later on. Vegas is like all of a sudden one of the best sports cities in the world. Yeah, and Formula One are going for what, three, four races potentially in the States uh, if they have their way over the next little while. So it's going to become a very US-centric thing. Just the explosion of the sport over there. One of the great marketing stories of recent years. Yeah, um, 
everything Formula One is exploding in America. All of their media, all of a sudden, it's it's off like this tiny base where it wasn't a thing for ages. And is that because it came from a low base? I wonder, and therefore the only way was up. And when it went up, it was going to explode. Or is it because there was something very? Uh, I don't know something that speaks to the American people specifically about the way it's been marketed and about the sport in general I don't know that makes it American it's probably a bit of both because uh, Redneck America was fully behind motorsport but it was like the Daytona thing and the NASCAR and this was always seen as like a competitor and so therefore they couldn't break into it like in the 90s they tried but failed and all of a sudden it's like Turns out a big country. There's a lot of room for a number of different sports. Yeah, it's and maybe maybe it's incredibly successful compared to other markets, but not compared to other sports in America. But it doesn't matter because, as you say, the amount of money that's sloshing around the system is so big. Uh, it's eight forty this morning. We're going to turn our attention to Gaelic football. I'm delighted to say we've got Mickey Quinn with us. We're going to talk to him about the um, Division Three final. It's Loud versus Limerick. Um, the Limerick story is fairly remarkable, but the loud one, I think, is the one that has attracted most of the attention. Mickey, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, Ger. Um Before we talk about the final, the, the Longford season was a complete roller coaster. Um, you had great wins, hard-fought wins, some crushing defeats, and then uh, Lazarus-like recovery, almost as if you could just blink off the defeats. What, what kind of a season was it so far in the league for you guys? How, how did it go? How are you feeling about it? Yeah, look at it was probably hit and miss, very inconsistent with probably ups and downs. Um, but again, probably we were late starting back with management probably set up uh, later on in the year and then losing numbers, not committing. And it was probably trying to get a firefight for as long as we could. And we probably put in a few massive performances, winning games against Westmead and Leash away from home were the two games that we probably looked at and said, no, nah, we're not going to win them. But they were the two that probably got us over the line. And then uh, we, we kind of loud salvaged the draw against us with a, a last minute uh, free that uh, got them a point. Um, so, yeah, it's it's it just shows you how close the divisions are. Um, Limerick gave us a good clip in first round of the league and then we played loud and drew with them but it's just amazing how quickly it can turn those two teams pushing on for promotion and we're fighting for relegation then and just with the skin of our teeth stayed up um, I, I heard you interviewed after one of the games where you kind of talked about your own role and there's like a, a semi-coaching role on the field of play as the game is happening and, and you said this kind of suits you at this stage of your career uh, how formalised is that? Is that something that you're you're actu- actually actively talking to the management team about? Is it just naturally the role that you play when you have your experience? I suppose uh, probably a bit of both you're kind of probably playing that position at six you're kind of in and around it for your own kickouts opposition kickouts um, and you've players around you that you can kind of talk to and and hopefully give instructions um, and 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 help them out as best you can and I suppose it, it's kind of suited me with that game that I suppose if you open your mouth that bit more you can save the legs a little bit so um, that's that's definitely helped me a bit uh, getting a few lads to do a bit more work around me rather than me um, but no I enjoy it I suppose that's probably the background with the teaching too that you're kind of coaching slash teaching and you're you're open to that um, and it, it kind of works at, at the moment especially when we have such a young squad that there's lads that are eager to improve and learn and if, if they're open to, to listening to a bit of feedback or a few instructions that might help me and help them as well uh, I remember talking about um, Dennis Connerton years ago talking about how difficult it was to get 
people to commit um, because the intercounty grind is difficult particularly when there isn't a whole heap to look forward to you talked about getting lads to commit at the start of this season was there a particular reason why it was difficult this year or uh, what was that like actually compared to previous seasons probably just the unknown there um, of, of what was going to happen and what the, the new setup was um, for, for such a long time uh, and it was an easier option for guys to probably opt out than opt in um, and the other thing is probably with the last two years that we're after having um, it's people have probably realised look there's more to there's more to life than and just training three, four, five times a week and they start to realise okay hang on a minute I can take a step back here and I might come back in a year or two time and stuff like that and that's probably happening a good bit in Lanford guys opting on and off for a year or two here and there um, and you can't blame guys either because uh, I think the the thing with Division 3 and 4 is that that carrot there of what the re- reward is for players it, it probably isn't there as much as the Division 1s and 2s and there has to be a huge element of enjoyment in what you're doing in order for guys to commit and, and stay involved in setups like that. So I think that's a big thing that uh, is across the board that that enjoyment has to be there. And look at if you're not winning and the divisions are, are difficult and you're coming up against uh, teams that might be giving you a clipping, but you'd hope with the Talchin Cup coming on board and Division 3, an opportunity there playing teams on the same level as you, that you can probably entice guys to stay around that little bit more Are you excited for that actually the Tottenham Cup? Excited and wary um, of what way it's going to pan out like you kind of look at it now and you see the teams listed out after the weekend who's going to be in it and you think geez, that could be a ding dong uh, battle like I don't know what, what your odds on and who's going to win it um, because you're looking at some of the teams there from down to Cavan um, if they end up not progressing on in the provincial championships that there's a huge opportunity for up on seven, eight teams that could actually contest it and and, and win it Um, but it all depends on what happens from the gap from league to to provincial championships and then the next gap from provincial knockout to when the Talchin Cup is played and a lot can happen with guys maybe opting off or maybe morale been low after a defeat and the provinces so yeah it's it's I think it, that adds another layer to it that um, there's so many teams that could put their shoulders to wheel and, and really win that and hopefully it gets a promotion that it, it deserves what, What's the most important thing when it comes to that promotion for, from your perspective is it simply games and television is it, is it good good fixtures and good stadiums what, what's the key to promotion in, in, in your view Yeah I suppose it's probably a mixture of everything. Um, it's it's the lead up to it. Like I think probably two weeks out from a competition like that, there should be a big selling point of probably the players and the promotion of it, and then kind of getting a brief run through of, of of the different counties and where where they're at, and and see that it is important to to those counties, and then again that. Um, it's promoted to fans that you know you're looking at the division threes and fours this weekend and you're looking at probably the key players for for Limerick and Loud and thinking right there's not too many um, people that have heard or know a whole pile about these guys like Samuel Roy has probably hit the headlines um, this this year a lot more than others with, with his score and exploits but there's an awful lot more players in Loud and Limerick that have have brought them to that level and seeing seeing more game footage uh, of these players uh, will 
give people an appreciation well Jesus there is good players out there and it's not just your one or two big names per county like there's more than that um, and you know if, if you were to name off one player from each county I think everyone's probably able to do that but when it comes down to seeing more game time and footage uh, you get an understanding and appreciation that there's a lot more out there than just the guys that kick the scores In terms of this game this weekend um how important is it for Loud and Limerick? Because they both they're both on different journeys, but it's fairly similar in terms of the the turnaround that they've experienced um, in recent seasons. And you can kind of see how a season it's not going to be derailed because it's been a brilliant season. Whatever happens from this point forward, promotion to Division Two for both those teams next year is going to be a huge thing for them to be able to hang their hat on. But a little bit of silverware along the way is a massive shot in the arm. So you can see how. For some counties, these games have have in the past not actually mattered that much in the grand scheme of things. But for these two, it feels a little bit different. Yeah, I think that's something that probably creeps up a little bit in some of the divisions that um, or those finals that it's an opportunity there for silverware for Division 3 and 4 and, and once you get to Croke Park um, you have an opportunity to win something in Croke Park whereas we'd probably be on the other end of, of that that when you get to Croke Park it's not really much of a reward um, playing in Leinster semi-finals against the likes of Dublin um, but I think they're really how, how both teams probably got back to training probably last night and, and reassessed to where they're at um, and probably strapped up after uh, probably a tough league campaign and injuries are fairly good but both teams would be really pushing um, to try and get a bit of silverware and that kicks them on for for the Talchon Cup or the Provincial Championship that they can actually okay our season isn't finished here you're getting an extra game by playing a league final um, and then you're off into your Provincial Championship see how that goes and then Talchon Cup and I think that was probably the most enjoyable part for, for any year that I would have played in it's playing the most games um, and there's years there where you might play two championship games and some years that if things go well you might get five and and getting more games in whether it be a league final Talisman Cup um, championship or or the league that the more games you play the more you're going to come together as a team and learn and improve Yeah I mean it seems like basic arithmetic games are great we like games we should have more games I mean I realise it's taken us uh, 35 years to get to the point where we're going to have a bit of a dog's dinner but at least there'll be some more games so maybe we take the little victories along the way tell us about Sam O'Roy and um, how good is he? Yeah look at um, it, it probably Mickey Hart's setup that he has there with whether it be with Tyrone or with Loud he's, he's built his team around the way Sam is playing and, and what he offers to the team you know there's there's nothing new or groundbreaking with, with what Mickey's doing it's it's probably the same same uh, canvas that he's working off he's set up really well defensively and then when you can try and counter attack from there and create the scoring opportunities that Sam has been the one to to chip in and get those scores but you know uh, Kieran Byrne Bevan Duffy Connor Grimes there's a few other guys Tommy Dernan there uh, at midfield that has been probably long servants furloughed um, and they've offered something something else there in that probably setting up defensively and, and giving opportunities to Mulroy and other guys in the forward line like Grimes and that to, to get scoring chances I was going through it there I think he's 42% of 
loads overall scores. Um, but of that, 75% of his scores, I think, what is it, 45 points from freeze and 45s. Um, so, like, there's there's definitely a game plan there. They pr- play a strong running game. And if they're running at you hard and they can draw fouls, they'll draw fouls. And they're quite happy to take their free, slow the game down and play it on their terms. And, and the way Mulroy is kicking... Um, just outside the 45 with his scoring range from freeze and you've probably seen highlights in that that some of the freeze he scored and uh, the one against us to level it at last kick of the game it was like that it was on the edge of the 45 and strong wind against him and still managed to kick it so that's a massive that's a massive uh, addition to, to Loud and the way they've set up Limerick on the other hand similar enough um, but they're their game, they're a strong running team, and I think Croke Park is really going to suit Limerick this uh, this weekend. The, the wing backs there, uh, wing fours, uh, Childs, uh, Peter Nash, Jason Ryan, uh, Hugh Burke, and Robbie Burke are causing a lot of trouble uh, in the full forward line, um, and it's it's going to be, I think, an open game. But I think one thing that we see from both teams is that with that running game, and if there's space there that there's going to be goal chances and I think Limerick and Loud have definitely created lots of goal chances uh, throughout the league campaign It, it felt at the end of his uh, Tyrone tenure that uh, Mickey Hart was not being criticised for, for their failings but kind of a sense that he was maybe holding them back a little bit and they needed a new change of direction and they got their All-Ireland win whereas now Mickey Hart is uh, getting a lot of credit for what Loud are doing and getting back into the Division 2 football so so where's that graph at at the moment in your view with regards to the, to the stocks of, of Mickey Hart? Yeah, look, it's... He, he has a template for a game plan and that has proven and shown that it's worked. Um, and if, if you stick to it, that it can really cause trouble from division one right down to division four and, and work in those divisions. But I suppose I think Tyrone were maybe on a different trajectory that did such quality forwards. Um, that everyone wanted to see those those guys play and, and, and offering a little bit more and maybe it didn't suit some of those players um to to play that maybe defensive style of, of football. But again, you you can't take away from what he's done with Tyrone and what he's done with um with Loud at the moment. It shows you that there's a template there that works and if if players buy into it, um you can really push on and, and make huge gains and improvements. At the end of the day winning games that's what's going to get people and players interested in playing um, so he's done that and it's going to be a difficult division for them next year but they're, they're on the upward curve and it's not easier to, to be up in Division 2 than where they're coming from from Division 4 you, you obviously are, are looking at longer term trends and stats and analysis when you're in games are you seeing a difference in the style of play from the teams you're playing against and even what you're all you're you're trying to do yourselves like where is the game trending at the moment yeah it's it's funny it's it's kind of gone both ways um you you go back and i think I think one of the things that you notice from watching your division ones and twos and down to division threes and fours that um, probably three and four are trying to do um, the same kind of things in pressing kickouts, setting up zonal presses, maybe false presses where you might let the ball go short uh, and then put a squeeze on. Um, but when you've different keepers and different, uh, the likes of Niall Morgan, Rory Began, that if you put on a press and it's played long over the top, he's taken maybe 10, 12 players out and it creates an, a scoring opportunity straight away. 
Whereas I think that that style of playing short kickouts or really short range kickouts to your full back line or even half back line, you have to work it past 12, 14 players to get up the field. Whereas I think it's gone to the stage now where teams are looking mid range and, and long range kickouts that you're creating an attack straight away. If you can get that ball down on the tee and out long, um, it, it sets a platform that you can take out maybe six, seven, eight players uh, out opposition players out with a kick out and start attack straight away whereas I think previously possession was, was nine tenths the law I think it's got to the stage now where it's getting that ball into the forward line more um, and probably quicker is going to create scoring chances but probably create major scoring chances rather than uh, settling for clipping over a point that if you can get it down to the other end of the pitch as quickly as possible there's opportunities for goals my last question on that is is that anything to do with the mark or was that happening anyway? Uh, I don't think so. Maybe it, it probably is helping it a little bit. Um, but if you look at some of the the scores that are goal chances, maybe um, Tyrone's at the weekend kick long wasn't a can Canavan, and then another kick inside to McCurry and McCurry goal. Whether that was a mark or not, um, or whether he stopped for the mark. It probably did help in that situation, but um, I think it might have promoted and kind of maybe fast-tracked um, management and, and players thinking in probably not being afraid to take that opportunity to go long. Um, whereas in the past, maybe it was like, oh, don't go long, safer to have possession. So, yeah, it might have fast-tracked things to, to think that way. And I think I heard Zach Tui talking a little bit about it um, at the moment that with, with Geelong there, that their their mantra at the moment is kick the contest and they're they're confident enough to win those one on one contests because they've done a lot of work and training. Uh, and I think that's the level that it's at. And listen to McCurry talking as well, similar about those fifty fifty balls that if you can win them and back your forwards and your midfielders that if a keeper can kick it out or a midfielder can kick it into the forward line and they're going to compete and, and, and contest it and, and win it. And um, that the more time that goes in there, the more chance you have a score. And it's it's fairly uh, fairly basic or rough and ready thinking, but the more opportunities you create, the more chances you have a score. And, and I think in the past, it was possession in your own half and middle third. And that possession counts for nothing if you can't actually penetrate the, that position. Yeah, look, always really interesting to have you on, Mickey. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers. Thanks, Millman. It's Mickey Quinn giving us his thoughts there uh, about the Division 3 League final. I think that's interesting because it's kind of a little bit different to what's going on in Hurling. Listen to Tommy talking earlier on. Teams are trying to take a little bit of the contest out and skew things in favour of their own team and possession. Whereas in football, they're like, actually, the break-even on this point is if we score a goal out of this these long balls, then you know if we do that twice over the course of the game and we lose possession five or six times but they don't score off every single one of them we're still up yeah and also I think forward play at the moment is in such amazing shape that it's not really 50-50 or they're spotting the run they know what the run is going to be yeah. they're jinking one way they're kicking it the other way it's bounce pass into space it looks direct it looks risky but it's not at all they know that their man is going to win it maybe even 70% of the time yeah and the scoring zone is getting bigger and bigger yeah well that's the that, that's the really intriguing thing and like I mean we quite often in the league you get an even bigger scoring zone because of the outrageous conditions but also as well when you look at some of the, the figures that the likes of Quigley and Mulroy have put up already this year it's like okay you foul anywhere uh, inside the 45 metre line that includes over by the sidelines you're in you're in a spot of bother How close are we to say in Limerick or Jewel County? 
Well, I think uh, they would say themselves that they, they have been for a while, that they should have got themselves over the line in the Munster football final in, in the mid-2000s, late-2000s, in the, um, the, the the John Galvin era. So um, I think that they're they're back to where they feel they belong, which is just below the the bottom tier. And I mean, I know that... I'm not sure where the investment has gone. It's been mostly hurling, right? That they've been existing... I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think... I think JP is just like an equal opportunities. Right, Okay. I don't know is the the honest answer to that, but they've been they've been, like they've been tipping along nicely for the, for the last little while on that side of the Munster football championship. Will be interesting who will get to the to the Munster final. It looks like they're putting the same effort into their football academy as they're putting into their hurling academy. Right. Um, that's what the the word on the street is. That but, yeah, you've got Paul Knurk involved in the football side of things as well. Do you on on an academy level? Obviously, that's the rumor. Background yeah. is football. Yeah. All right. Uh, John Dogan is with us this morning at nine o'clock. John. Ger and Owen, how are we doing? It's Thursday morning at nine o'clock. How are you getting on? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad, thanks. What are we? Where do we want to start? Well, the breaking news, lads: the Republic of Ireland women's squad has been named for the Sweden Games, which is a crucial game in the World Cup qualifier Tuesday, April the twelfth. Vera Pound naming the twenty-seven strong squad. So there's a first official call up for the London City Lionesses midfielder Lily Ag. Also, six players in the panel from the SSS. SSE Artricity Women's National League including the Shelburne duo Chloe Mustaki and Abby Larkin Diane Caldwell Savannah McCarthy Neve Farley Emily Whelan Aoife Colvin and Saoirse Noonan will all miss the match in Gothenburg because of injury the girls in green currently second in Group A behind the Swedes not expected to win there but if you got something out of the game it would be so important in terms of potential qualification or a playoff spot uh, 91,553 people watching at the Camp Nou yesterday a club record for women's game attendance to see Barca beat Real 5-2 very impressive stuff uh, we have subs set to be approved by the Premier League today to go to 5 14 of them uh, the clubs need to say yes for that move to happen now it is being led by the international board so it's not an English football thing it's a wider thing but you'll have five subs next season only going to make the stronger clubs stronger you'd have to think but one of the managers who uses very few subs actually is Pep Guardiola we've got golf uh, the Chevron Championship is the first women's major of the year Leona Maguire and Stephanie Meadow in that so that tees off in Rancho Mirage in California later this afternoon and also the Masters this day week I'm sure we've got the OB planned for um Washington Road and I'm looking forward to the details lads uh, Rory and GMAC private jet is, uh, is yeah, yeah. Um, I just didn't know anything about it I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll be packing my bags at about 9.05 now to go out to the airport um, first time since 2014 that Rory is using the week before as a tune-up and he says that's because he's already done the bulk of his prep I was at Augusta the last couple of days um, and I just went there on my own uh, I didn't go with any members I didn't um, I didn't sort of do the whole stay on property and I just wanted to come and see the golf course. Obviously, there's some changes to the golf course on 11, on 15. Three new greens, uh, three, 13 and 17 are all brand new greens. So um, I just wanted to go there and just see that for myself and sort of do a little bit of a scouting trip that I haven't really done the last couple of years. So um, that's a little different maybe, but um, it was good to be there, good to see the place and... Um, at least coming into this event and playing this week, I don't feel like there's a rush to get there next week and cram and, and prepare. I feel like I've already done the most you know most of my work, which is which is a nice feeling. Maybe it's better for Rory to be playing this week rather than thinking about the career Grand Slam because only five players in history have ever done it. <laughs> Do we know who the five are? Oh my Tiger, God. Jack. Sam Sneed? No. Uh, 
the guy the Palmer. Guy, no, Arnold Palmer didn't do it. The guy before him who had the car accident. Who was that? Yeah, yeah, that's one of them. But I tell you, yeah, Ben Hogan. Ben Hogan. Ben Hogan. That's yeah, so that's three. A very fit man. Oh, Gary Player, Gary Player. Yeah. the most yeah. uh, highly travelled man on the planet, yeah. and therefore the most polluting. Yeah, a lot of hot air in, in Gary Player's he, life. Yeah, yeah, big time, big time. And I don't, I don't. I'll give you the clue for the final one. The shot heard around the world. I would have said Ben Hogan, but uh, it's before that. It's Gene Sarazen oh, who made an albatross in 1935 at Augusta on the 15th. What, um, like, have we got like a full house of of ways that Roy McIlroy has built up hope the week before? Well, Augusta Clayton Skaggs was the best one. This mind guru, Clayton Skaggs, yeah. and the juggling that was that was definitely one I enjoyed. Yeah. Um, what was that? There was a year, two, about two years ago, when he was talking about all his mind stuff, and he had this Doctor Clayton Skaggs t- helping him with his mind and talking about juggling and all these good, like all this stuff he was talking about at the press press conference. Going for the juggler, yeah. yeah so he, I think he's tried everything, really. Um, well, clearly not 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 playing the week before the event. Is that new? Well, well, eight years actually, wouldn't, and it was eight years since he last won a major. So who knows? So this is the one. It's, it's hard to look if he does it. He's in. A bracket that Arnold Palmer, Seve, Tom Watson, none of those players are in. So he's nearly there, but not quite yet. Um, oh, and I know you're like your trips to America. What about this? November of next year, Saturday night, they're going to host a Grand Prix in Vegas. Uh, the track will uh, include the strip. How cool is that going to be? They've really got their act together in terms of promoting the sport, Formula One. And they've got a three year deal now for a Las Vegas Grand Prix. Awesome stuff. And uh, as we know, I'm sure you've talked about in the show. Cork and Kerry being Killarney on May the... What do you think, John? Well, Tommy Rooney, we discussed Tab of the Morning and I was thinking of Ed Sheeran songs and it was Take Me Back to London, so Take Me Back to Killarney is an obvious one. Uh, uh, Rebel Hell was another one I thought of. Um, I know they're going to have the next two matches at Porky Cueve, but uh, this, this thing about health and safety will only allow 11,000 people or Porky Rin. So what? Hold it, Porky Rin in front of 11,000 people. Make it, make it something that you know I really missed out on a chance to go to that game I couldn't get a ticket and now I'm actually hungry to get a ticket for next year's game Game of Parky Rain what's wrong with that? 9,000 actually John yeah, but they'll fix it to a just, get to 11. You just upset 2,000 loyal fans. They'll get it to 11. Like, uh, with season tickets, yeah, they would need to. I, I, to be a home game is a home game, and away game is a away game. Oh, no, we're sure. We'll give you this here, and you might, you might take a couple of years back, and I, I don't know if it's going to be good for Keith Rickon, and Cork could be going down to Killarney and getting whooped. What about, what about the fact that, I mean, they, they've filled their own stadium, their own championship stadium, with, uh, with this foreign music? To pay for the stadium. If you if you borrow money, you have to pay it back. And what about the hurlers, John? Why you have they been money, paid in Parky Rin? You have Rin? to pay it back. What, why are you having the hurlers been paid in Parky Rin? Who cares What's about the hurlers? The footballers are a different thing. They're their own. They're their own. No, I'm, I'm going to what about all morning here? Okay. <laughs> and and what about Parky Rin when Parky Cueve is being built? Is what that not good enough for the footballers? Even what about Windsor Park? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. No. Look, I just hope Cork had have a respectable result on May the 7th because you don't want them to be demoralised and um, licking their wounds the rest of the championship it could be 30 points um, so Tiger's going to play That we were talking about this a little bit earlier in the week Is there, are there still more signs they, they keep talking about it in a way that it would be very disappointing for everybody if he didn't it's, uh, it's an interesting reaction to Tiger Woods given he wasn't the 
most favoured person at Augusta a few years ago after the scandal and now it's like we just it's almost I'd say he's probably getting phone calls will you play will you play um, it is different if Tiger Woods plays next week it'll be a completely ceremonial situation because he hasn't played in 17 months he hasn't played since the 2020 Masters which was held in November when he went and won it in 2019, he played five tournaments before that that year and been in the top 30 in all of them. It'll be completely ceremonial. Um, it's all about his body. Like he, Only he knows the ravages that his body's been through and uh, his, his ability to black out pain, I, I don't know. It's, he's, he's got this superhuman ability to do it, so fair play to him. I think the fact that he travelled with his son, uh, maybe he wants his son to see him play, uh, that'd be pretty cool, because how many masters has Tiger Woods got lo- left in the locker? He's 46 now, he can play as many as he wants, but um, as he said before, getting up to the top of the mountain, he's already done that, he feels he doesn't have anything to prove, I don't think he'll ever be a contender for a major again, but it's a difficult terrain, it's not what you see on television, it's a hilly terrain, it's a it's a long walk, and uh, I hope it, hopefully his body will stand up to it. It's different playing practice rounds in Florida or the Bahamas to playing at Augusta. But the thing about it is, there's so much muscle memory there, lads, that he'd probably be able to turn it into a 72 or better. And that's all anybody wants to see, really. And the TV viewership figures will go up, and everybody's a winner. Uh, yeah, well, that's, that's, you can't ignore the TV viewership, which they've come around to embracing at Augusta because for so many years they only show the back nine. Um, actually, we got a panel on that on Saturday, by the way, if you're tuning in, folks, on OTB Sports Radio or on News Talk, Dermot Gleese and Vincent Hogan, who both played the course. They both played the course on the Monday after the Masters. They can talk to us about both the course and also the complete uh, idiosyncrasies of this um, cathedral of, of golf and of sport. Do, do all the people working at Augusta still use blockiers, I wonder? What? Do they all still use blockiers? Do they even have blockiers? What? Have they even got to that to the stage of the mobile cellular device? Sorry, Owen, I'm, I'm, I'm not with the, the lingo. You know, uh, uh, it doesn't matter. I was just asking, like, did I have, did I have mobile phones? <laughs> it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't even matter. It's a pun on the Nokia, but it's a block. Oh, okay. Block sorry. sorry, I need to, I need to. You know the things that you could drive over, and it would still, it would still be able to, you'd still be able to play. Is, is this how you spend your Saturday afternoons or Sunday afternoons, in Kerry and, and the four-wheel drive? You know. Yeah. Big Range Rover. Yeah. Uh, I've been told to ask you about the Sagan 2000. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? This is your revenge now, isn't it, for all these 80s uh, pop references? Yeah, 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 yeah. You, actually, you've, you've stored all this up for this day, and I've been caught on hours. I've been caught by surprise. I would just love to see, basically, kind of a hidden camera uh, documentary job inside the ropes of Augusta Dunn. Well, Berkman's Place is the one I'm interested in. That is the exclusive place that they... Uh, um, it's the hospitality at Augusta, which is only open once a year. Uh, and I I've checked the internet yesterday I didn't see any photos of it it's thousands of dollars to get in and whatever you know, well, I don't know whatever kind of lobster they have in there or whatever but that seems to be the, the most exclusive place possibly in the world of sport alright bringing you uh, more lobsters on Saturday afternoon from 1 o'clock JD will be back uh, with Off the Ball on News Talk and as he said on otvsports.com as well and you can get Virtual Insanity and of course there'll be a Virtual Insanity special coming your way next week in advance of the Masters 2 it's 10 minutes past 9 we've got some more Joe Brawley goodness next but here's what's coming up on OTV Sports Radio today OTV Gold at 1 o'clock is Jack McCaffrey Leaders Questions is 3 o'clock our retro panel is losing the dressing room at four Nigel Mansell is OTB Gold at six and tonight live Nathan John Giles and a preview of the league hurling final back after this OTB AM one last question the White House how was it sure you've got an inside scoop on something for us well Americans are completely insane as a country so superficially I mean if you've got money you're happy out there it's great you have a great life and you're able to you know 
sort of live that intellectual life and enjoy the benefits of, of, of what's going on there. But if you don't, you know, and there are 35 million people living in trailer parks, you know, there are 100, people, 100 million people living in abject poverty, you know, on sort of normal economic um, measurements of these things. So that you've got two two Americas out there, and also then increasingly with their the Republicans' attack on truth and reality, that war on truth, which which you need to mount if you're going to try and undermine any moves towards social protections for people, health care, all of those important things. But if you're just going to run the country for the elites, you know, then you do what you do in America. You know, you you attack truth, you attack respected news outlets and you end up with Donald Trump with tax breaks for billionaires with with a country that's run by lobbyists and billionaires and a small group of Republican politicians for the benefit of the few I mean it's a weird country like they have the biggest number of murders every year in the world I mean I met when I was out there I met one of the Marines top snipers lovely fellow and he toured me around the green room, you know, and he said, oh, this is a particular favourite of uh, of the First Ladies, and, you know, this is... And I was thinking to myself, you know, that guy would shoot you in the face and not, um, you know, not give it a second thought. Um, it's a... it's a On the face of it, it's a brilliant country and all of that, but the, the truth is very disturbing, and I think it's becoming a very dystopian place where uh, millions, tens of millions of people are living in despair and poverty. I mean, drug use is endemic. Pharmaceutical companies can get away with whatever they mean. Many of the pharmaceutical companies are essentially like the mafia. They're just big drug-dealing networks. We've seen that with the fentanyl scandals, for example, where they've been bribing doctors to prescribe these extremely dangerous opioids for conditions that they were never meant for. You know, and then what happens is that after a five-year investigation, the company pays five billion in compensation, but nobody goes to prison. I mean, it's a very dystopian society where the elites are almost fully insulated from the harm that they are deliberately causing to earn a few bucks. You know, and the what, what I think the lesson to be learned from Ukraine at the moment is the importance of us pulling together as good Europeans. You know, because we can see that the UK is starting to go exactly the same way as the US. The war on truth, the lies, the constant daily lies. You know, we're leading the world and bringing in refugees. What? Lying about where the refugee... Right, lying that refugee centres have been set up when they haven't been set up at all. I mean, the BBC sent a camera crew and said they couldn't find it. <laughs> Pretty Patel, Pretty Patel said there was a pop-up centre in Lille. The BBC was like, can't find it. And the mayor said that, he'd, the mayor said that he hadn't heard of it. And, you know, the constant lies of Boris and all of that. And yet, you know, he got Brexit done, whatever that means. And that seems to be enough for people living in poverty in the in the once labour-controlled areas of the north, you know, where food banks have flourished by over a 1,000% in the last decade. And I see that the Trussell Trust are reporting this week that increasingly middle-class families are coming to them for food relief. Food relief. You know, people hungry and starving in a country as wealthy as England, you know, in a, in a society as wealthy as the UK that's generating such billions, you know, and it's a warning to Ireland, it's a warning for us to make sure that we teach our children to think critically in the schools, you know, that we keep money out of politics, we keep lobbyists out of politics, 
you know that we that we uh, ensure that our politicians have a vocation for service and are doing it for the right reasons because it's remarkably easy to end up in a dystopian society where politics is run by the elites for the elites and that's what we've seen in America in Russia increasingly in the UK you know I mean, and, and I think the the greatest argument for not being involved with England is that it is increasingly a failed state. I mean, we don't want to be going down that road. And uh, so the sooner we start <laughs> disengaging ourselves from them, the better, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, a warning and also probably a, a signifier that things aren't as bad as we sometimes think around here either. When yeah, you, know, you can never be complacent. Of course, you know, that's yeah. what Ukraine teaches us. Yeah. What, 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 I mean, we've become complacent. You know, the idea that after 1989, after the fall of Soviet Russia, that really in future, that was it. You know, Russia would move towards Europe. They would probably join Europe. The confederacies would probably join Europe. We would move towards an unparalleled era of cooperation. We would close down tax havens. You know, we would we would uh, have progressive, sensible taxation. You know, and... Uh, and really, we would harness the enormous resources of the world to make sure that no one was left behind, that everybody had an opportunity and felt free and were able to live a decent life. I mean, all of those things that we thought were going to happen, in fact, they haven't happened. And what's happening in the world is extremely worrying. That's uh, Joe Brawley with you in Belfast. How did you get on in Belfast? What did you make of it? Uh, like, I mean, I, I love Belfast. Um, it's a brilliant city, isn't it? Um, there were like there, were, there wasn't much of like making something of up. I, I suppose I hadn't been to, to Windsor Park before. That was probably the new element of of being up there this time. It's a nice facility, and uh, other than that, I guess I'd kind of been around to most of the places I was at before multiple times. And yeah, it's a, it's a great city, isn't it? Have you been out in Belfast? Yeah, a good few times. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. It's not closed at like half eleven. Yeah, I was just about to say it, it would be great if it could push back to closing times. Although I guess I did. I think it was a bit later. I think it has gone a bit later. I mean, yeah, uh, recently it feels like half eleven. Sorry, yeah, um, but I, I think it's a one o'clock closing time, isn't it? Wasn't there something before COVID where the DUP had down tools and they were like, "Oh, finally we have to give up our our fight against uh, badness, and we will allow you to stay open until two a.m. because bad things happen between one and two. I mean, yeah, they, there was a they had a few of their own, but then I think that <laughs> then I think that they um, just didn't do it after COVID, and wasn't that the same down here as well? Wasn't there some talk of... It wasn't... Don't want to... Um, Finally got to be free and be able to go to four o'clock in the morning like they are in every civilised city in the world? Didn't Helen McEntee introduce some sort of bill in early 2020 and then all of a sudden COVID came and everything just cut, put to one side? And actually, Dublin's closing at... at uh, I think they're stopping at least at three o'clock as opposed to half three, which was... from that Very important half hour, are they? Well, are it's, they? Just, it's just why... What's what's the difference? What's, what's changed? And uh, there was definitely talk about it beforehand that it would be... I'm not sure it was an all-night stuff, but uh, that, that was definitely on the table. So north and south, there was definitely talk of uh, more liberties when it came to nights, and both of those things seem to have been shelved for now. Um, in the aftermath of the discussions with uh, with Brawley and Vanukin and the fans outside Windsor and everybody in the build-up about um, Casement, do you think Casement's going to go ahead and do you think it's going to have any impact on the day-to-day life of uh, non-GA people? <sighs> No is definitely the answer to the second part of that question. I think it'll be good for a short amount of time for that one summer to have games 
in Belfast and casement is the only avenue to that and that'll be good for as I say a short period of time it's not going to have any impact on the day to day life uh, of those people uh, they might go to casement for, for concerts as well and, and, and that'll be that and it'll be a great accessible facility to have in, in their city better to have it than not to have it though it's not going to be this life changing thing for GEA people I think it'll be a far more significant uh, thing I went out to um, to Ardoin yesterday as well got to put together a piece that'll go out hopefully over the, the next few days and their whole point is that as people well involved in the GEA they don't have a facility to point to and say you can be playing there if you make a county final or whatever and, and, and they feel that that's having a real and meaningful impact on grassroots GEA on top of that as well then is the kind of question about facilities for young GA people in certain areas of Belfast and North Belfast is one of those places where there is plenty of places to go and play football but there are very few places to go and play GAA where they're constantly renting out uh, and paying a lot of money per year to, to rent out field spaces, green spaces in order for their kids to actually play on it. So that for me is is, is the greater question about uh, young GAA people in Belfast, about uh, the availability of green spaces, especially in the north side of the city. Casement will be a nice thing and it's an essential thing in some ways if you want to put on big ticket events, which will be great for people Um but I think on the day-to-day life, there are far more important questions around that city. Now, then, the first part of your question, will it or will it not happen? We have to see after Easter when, it, uh, when this judicial review uh, kind of comes to a head, whether or not the residents will have their complaints upheld. Because if, that, if, if they aren't, then I think away you go. Yeah, this is the second judicial review, though, was it? Yeah. I didn't really understand that whole... It got very complicated. Yeah, the first one was upheld, so they reduced the capacity then. Okay. So, so it was a 38,000-seater stadium. Now it's down to about 32,000, I think, is for the planning permission that was granted last year. Right. So they're uh, now saying that the planning permission was, uh, A, unlawful because there was no executive, and B, uh, there was complaints from the residents still about this potentially being used for concerts, the Euros. You're telling us this is a GEA um, uh, venue. Well, what's the story about the Euros? What's the story about these concerts potentially coming to casement? I'm not sure if those if those arguments are actually part of the current the current one. The, the suggestion seemed to be that like a, a negotiated uh, response to that for the local community might have got that over the line. That if if you were to say, well, we'll build a community centre, we will put funding into these following local amenities, then the residents might have been like, okay, that's what we wanted. Yeah. That's what Joe Brawley was certainly saying in the piece we played yesterday, that it could have been dealt with better at the time. There could have been a better dialogue with some of the, the local residents. There is no getting away from the fact that there is definitely an air of what we've seen in Crow Park down through the years with the relationship between the stadium and the residents. And maybe the GEA as a whole could have taken a few learnings, to use that terrible phrase, but from that uh, into this a little bit better. And that's not just about Garrett Brooks, that's the handball situation in and around Crow Park as well. And obviously one of the people who would have been leading the charge from the residents' perspective in and around Crow Park would have been Eamon O'Brien. And he's also uh, involved with the, the residents and has been involved with the residents in, in Belfast as well. We should get him on to see what he has to say about that and what, the, yeah. and, and what the similarities are and, and what for future projects might be a, a better way of doing this. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, it is interesting that... Because, like, I mean, it's completely prejudicial on my side of things, but if I was to predict what Joe Brawley would have said about residents around that area, I would have expected him to say, oh, they need to stop their complaints and let us build our stadium. And in actual fact, that's not what he's, he's saying at all. He's saying that actually there... And maybe this is indicative of, of a wider view that maybe we don't have enough in, in this part of the country. His view is very much listen to both sides of the argument and, and then proceed. But uh, as you could hear from himself and, and John Finucane yesterday as well, their whole... Uh, perspective on life at the moment is that nobody really cares about that 
I guess, ultimate question about a One Island approach to, to, to life in general. Um, their kids, especially those who are going to university and beyond, just are concerned about day-to-day life and day-to-day life is, is pretty integrated once you get to a certain point in your life. All right. If you've got a view on that, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream or you can text us 0879-180-180. That's the number you can WhatsApp us, probably the easiest way. A reminder, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now, Rebecca Clancy joined Richie on last night's OTB for a chat about the start of the Formula One season and specifically the scenes in Saudi Arabia last weekend. You can hear the full chat on podcast. You need to subscribe to OTB Highlights. Here's Rebecca talking about what it was like covering the Saudi Grand Prix. There was... A couple of comments made by certain um, senior bosses saying, well, this is just the culture. So when we were in Bahrain for the first race of the season, (laughs) the Sunday race, there was a missile that hit in Saudi and Jeddah, where the race is in Saudi Arabia. And there was a a thought of, gosh, like that's only a week before we're due to go racing there. Like, is everything okay?" And the talk afterwards was, well, this is just this is the culture that they live in. And. This war with that Saudi Arabia-led coalition in Yemen with the Houthi rebels, this has been going on for seven years now. So when Formula One signed the contract initially to host 10 years of a race there, they knew what was going on. They knew exactly the situation. Missiles dropping within Saudi are not uncommon. And one of the lines that we were being fed is that the Houthi rebels only target infrastructure. They do not target civilians. But you cannot help but think in the back of your mind, well, wouldn't it make a statement if they changed their tactics just while F1 is there? Um, and that's a really uncomfortable thought, a really, really deeply uncomfortable thought, because if you think about the British Grand Prix, for example, if a missile dropped within 10 miles, there is absolutely no way that weekend would have continued. There is no other track on the calendar, and there are 23 of them this year that I can think of that the race would have gone ahead. And so to say that it was just the culture and this is what they live with and this is what happens in that region, for me, isn't a good enough reason to have continued with the weekend. And and I think it's one of F1's darkest weekends that they've pushed ahead with it. Rebecca Clancy of The Times in conversation with Richie last night on Wednesday nights off the ball. Nathan will be in situ tonight for Thursday nights off the ball on Newstalk. And Shane Hannon is with us this morning to talk to us about the breaking news. Vegas, baby. I mean, I, I know you're an international man of mystery and you like to go travelling and, you know, you're going to climb Everest at some point. But Vegas, baby. Vegas. Well, it's Vegas, baby. <laughs> I've never been to Vegas, but uh, it's 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 going on my list. Sin City. It could be Spin City when the, when the F1 goes there, but... <laughs> It's uh, it's going to be fun. I think Martin Brundle said uh, on Twitter this morning, "This is Formula One cracking the US after after 72 years of trying." So, um, really, really exciting. Can you just imagine, like going past the Bellagio, past the MGM Grand, uh, past Caesar's Palace? This is this is what the uh, the sport and the uh, as you guys said earlier, the marketing of the sport is all about. It's going to be a street race, is it? I mean, I guess I don't know. Is there a track there? So, will it be on the streets? It's it's going to be built around the strip essentially, so it's wow. going to be like this is the thing for the, for the drivers. I guess that the walls have to be quite high for safety reasons, so their view of the um, of the the strip itself might be curtailed. But the TV pictures are going to be unlike anything we've ever seen before. I mean, we've seen them in Monaco, but it's not quite the the stunning vistas and backdrop of of Vegas and the Nevada desert in the background. I mean, this is this is incredible, and like. They've tried Vegas before, uh, or they've tried Nevada before, I should say. So this was back in the 80s. So 81 and 82, the Caesars Palace Grand Prix, they held uh, basically in a car park adjacent to the casino. And they were they were grim. They were really, really terrible. And, and uh, they probably didn't go back for good reason. But uh, 
money talks lads and um this is uh, this is what like we heard the clip from Rebecca Clancy last night with Richie talking about the the Jetta Grand Prix and uh, we all know that the sports washing and the issues behind that and uh, the drivers did not want that race to take place but um when you look at the figures for this one in Vegas 100 million uh, per race essentially they're expecting it to be more than just a few years this could be up to a decade uh, of contracts with with um, Vegas billion billion quid and then they're expecting about half a billion in revenue for the area as well in Vegas with all the fans heading over and merchandise and all the rest so uh, this is lucrative that uh, 81 82 Caesar Palace car park event sounds like officially the seediest sporting event in history LOI late night should do an OB from that car park it just seems like it'd work so like you've got uh, Vegas you've got Austin you've got Miami from this year is this where it stops or is this actually going to be four or five potentially US races per year is that where they want to get to they seem to be suggesting that it's not going to go past the three at this okay. point. So, like, we know the success of the Austin Grand Prix. It's one of the best races on the on the racing calendar every year. Miami, they're trying out this year for the first time. And, and I mean, in the sun in Miami, it's, it's set up perfectly for a Formula One race. But uh, they seem to be saying in these uh, press conferences that this is the, the third and last one that America will get. The only thing, Owen, is, like, the, the calendar, the F1 calendar, is already massively uh, challenged and demanding for the drivers. So 23 uh, races this year... Uh, the, the contracts allow for a maximum of 24 per year uh, and uh, Stefano Domenicali the, the uh, F1 CEO saying that they, they could support as, as many as 30 in a season I don't know what the drivers would feel about that but we have this familiar end of season schedule which has one in Texas in Austin as you said one in Mexico another in Brazil around October November this one in Vegas is, is probably going to coincide with with Thanksgiving in America which is which is only going to add to the to the excitement uh, and, and I mean we've seen the increase in interest thanks to Drive Survive uh, over in the States but I mean it's it's it's, t- it's, t- it's tough to squeeze it in and uh, it's tough to see where it fits in the calendar and it, it is the perfect marriage the only thing is and, and, and myself and yourself Owen have spoken about this before in the past that the, the time the Formula 1 is, is available to view is very important uh, and what time are we at we're at half nine in the morning uh, Irish time here at the minute the Grand Prix would have only en- would have actually ended a couple of hours ago. It's it's supposed to start at 10 p.m. Vegas time, so uh, this could be a this could be a 6 a.m. start to the, the Formula One Irish time. Which That's is, which okay. Is bizarre. 6 a.m. is okay. I think it's like it's a, the American football games are possible to watch. Like um, the like it, it's obviously eight hours to Vegas, right? Yeah. So I think it's seven or eight hours. Yeah, it could be seven hours to Vegas, but either way, it's going to be. It's going to be early hours, but yeah, I guess three, four in the morning. Is, no thanks, but six you can do as a one-off. Yeah, at least you're you're, you're maybe and it's a Sunday, not a Monday. Day. That's the other thing. Yeah, and, and they're they're doing that. Like this race is on a Saturday for the first time ever, so I assume Saturday at ten p.m. is going to be into into Sunday morning yeah. our time if that's the way they're planning it. So yeah. it's a little bit different. Um, well, like, it it shows a level of flexibility that was not there when Bernie Eccleston was in charge. That they would never have done any of this stuff. They would never have moved the the Saturday. No one was allowed to film anything. There was no social media properly embraced, and all of a sudden they realise that there's a massive audience out there, and it seems to be working. Well, it, it's it's capitalism at its finest, Jer, and like. The fact is, at least, you know, like I was over at the, the Belgian Grand Prix last year that never was over in Spa, and Spa is surrounded by a forest. You've got the Ardennes Forest around you, and, and it's quite difficult to get to, uh, a little bit of an effort to get to from Liège, maybe an hour out of Liège. But the thing about Vegas, people are in Vegas anyway. I mean, the crowds that are going to be there uh, is stunning. I think it was 140,000 that made it to the Austin Grand Prix in Texas, and that's just outside Austin. The fact that it's on the Strip in Vegas, yeah. I mean... 
the numbers here are going to be quite uh, quite off the scale. So uh, another massive move for Formula One and its fans, I think. All right, Shane, good stuff. Thanks a million. Good stuff, lads. Shane Allen giving us his thoughts on the breaking news uh, this morning that um, we've had all this trouble with the Grand Prix in Saudi Arabia. We need a big announcement. I know what we'll do. We'll give them some little tidbit of information. Oh, Vegas, baby. Vegas. That'll do it. Yeah, they had to have that car just for one little one little emergency and this was it. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, right, that is your lot uh, from OTBAM today. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.